Cajun Nation, Matt Miguez here. Welcome to Region Review. In this episode, we will be joined by two of the biggest names in all of college football. Analyst and New York Times bestselling author Bruce Feldman, as well as longtime CBS sports announcer and a ULM Warhawk, Mr. Tim Brando. We will also fill you in on what's going on around the world of Rage and Review. Um, you know, some housekeeping details, stuff to stuff to really go over. And then we will begin App State Hate Week right here on this episode of Rage and Review. Spreading Cajun across the nation. Pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review. Made by the fans for the fans. Cajun Nation, happy hump day. Welcome to Region Review. Matt Miguez here. Josh Jagno, man about town, sits across from me in the newly redesigned lab. Beautiful new digs. I mean, I just... But, you know, before we dive into that, can I just say that it is day one of App State Hate Week? Yeah. And, well, I've been hating them since and, well, 2009. And, and, and my goal... Is to make is to make App State unhappy, unhappy, unhappy. They're not happy with us. They're not. They're not happy with us. Well, we're gonna leave Boone, and they're really gonna be unhappy with us. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we are seven days away from the prime time Wednesday night kickoff between the University of Louisiana Raging Cajuns and the App State Mountaineers. Always a fun game. Uh, you know, jo- Josh and I both had plans on going, but, you know, since it's a Wednesday and, you know, life gets in the way. One of us is still going. Just. Oh, okay. News to me. I think. I think. Well, man, aren't, aren't you a man of last second decisions? Hey, it's all up to the woman. You know that. <laughs> true. Uh, that but no, we, true. we have some treats for you guys in the bye week. So excited to announce that. You want to go ahead and say it now in the intro? No, man. You, it's this is your deal. You, you got you drive. So you know the the thing the thing with App State. Obviously, the the question is is how many players are they going to have back? Well, we just if, learned if any. Well, we just learned here uh, talking to one of our guests here that uh, maybe there's some there, more COVID issues than we even know. So, yeah, I mean they were they were missing twenty starters on Saturday. I mean, yeah. 20 starters, 20 players. 20 players, right. Um, five starters, five, I think. St- five or six, yeah. Yeah. Um, so definitely definitely an issue to be concerned with because, you know, I, we're dealing with similar issues. Um, as it as it appears, it seems like we're going to have everybody back. Yeah. But, you know, you never know what's going to happen between now and next Wednesday night. Right. But, you know, that's just sign of the times, man. Look, fingers crossed. Uh, we've all been looking forward to this since the Sun Belt Championship game last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know the players are rare to go. Players are ready to exercise some demons. Let's have a conversation real quick, completely off topic. Sure. Um, I, I don't want to get too into it. Oh God, what are you going to say? That debate last night. Oh, they're both masturbators. God, that debate last night. Hey, you know, 
we're apolitical, but we can laugh at the scene, right? Oh, I mean, oh, I mean yeah. I, I saw a buddy of mine posted something on uh, on social media talking about how it was basically a reality TV show. Well, we've been in a reality TV presidency for three and three quarter years. So, regardless of if you support or you don't, I mean, there's been some unsightly things under the this debate, current administration. This debate, however, made me think about one of my favorite movie quotes of all time. Billy Madison. I love Adam Sandler. I'm a huge Adam Sandler fan. I don't think I have ever missed an Adam Sandler movie. Um, but Billy Madison's one of my all-time favorites. The game show debate thing that he's in as a third grader or whatever grade he was in. He makes this ridiculous... I don't even... I can't, I can't even remember word for word what the response was. Uh, he was talking about Miss Lippy's puppy. That's what it was. Yes. Yep, you're right. And then the, 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 like the moderator, Mr. Madison, what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I've ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points. And may God have mercy on your soul. It, it felt a little bit like that. <laughs> a little. Yeah. A little. Yeah. It was. It was. It was Joe Biden not being able to form a coherent thought, and then Trump just attra- uh, just attacking him for it. That that was the debate last night. I I don't I don't think I ever heard them speak rationally about a topic. I don't have a. Comment. So, you know, Chris Wallace awards no points. <laughs> and may God have mercy on the soul that is the United States of America. Yeah, well, that's the thing. We all lost last night. That's the that's the, the huge takeaway. Yeah. Uh, regardless of uh, who you support, we, we, and when you look around, it's like, uh, we have a problem. We have a problem at leadership, at the leadership role. But hey, we have too many good things to talk about, right? Absolutely. Um, guys, you know, we're joined today by Bruce Feldman. Big wigs. Just, you know, the, the, the legend that is, you know, I don't know if you ever if you've ever read Meat Market, if you haven't read Meat Market and you want to know behind the world of college football recruiting. Meat Market. Definitely Quarter- go read Meat Market. Quarterback. Um, quarterback's a great book as well. Yeah, the guy's um, a phenomenal writer. And back in, all the way back in 2004 even, he wrote a book on – the collapse of the Miami Hurricanes. That's correct. That was that was, in my opinion, that was his best book. Yeah, and also, also another great book. Um, you know, he he's a studio analyst for Fox Big Noon Kickoff every Saturday morning. Um, what hasn't he done? He's been everywhere. Yeah, I mean, he, he just finished writing a book with LSU head coach Ed Ogeron that's going to be available next month. Yeah, I mean, and he goes into depth uh, at all of his stops and answers some questions. You know, really, really great insight from Bruce. Yeah, and really, we, really enjoyed that one. We loved having him. And we'll give you that in just a few seconds. And then later on in the show, we will also be joined by Tim Brando, who is a longtime CBS Sports analyst commentator. Um, you know, we'll cut we'll cut him some slack for being a Warhawk. Yeah, but uh, he's covered the Big Ten forever. He has very uh, uh, very good sources on a lot of in depth information, and I think yeah. you guys will enjoy Tim. We even talked a little golf. So yeah. It's going uh, to be, be. This is going to be one of my favorite episodes of all time. I'm very proud to bring it to our listeners. 
Big thanks to our sponsors as always, Priority Access Urgent Care, Schilling Distributing, Chris Russo and Russo Exploration, Award Master, PSC Supply and Hardware, Escape, Escape Reality Travel Agency, Vaulted Security, and Gulf Coast Bank. Also, you know, I've mentioned them on the show before. I can't stress it enough. I'm wearing one of their shirts today. Piro and Co. I mean, just a phenomenal Louisiana lifestyle clothing brand. Think maybe Vineyard Vines. It's a very Louisiana, nice looking shirt there, Matt. I like Louisiana it. Louisiana edition. Yeah, um, I like it. You know, with the big blue crab. Yep. So definitely go check them out. Uh, we're working on talking to those guys about a, a potential partnership down the line. Maybe maybe throw you guys a discount code or something. Ooh, uh, it's a good idea. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll work on that for you guys, but definitely go check them out. Follow them on social media. Um, you know, great stuff as always. Guys, we'll take a break, and when we come back, you will have the Bruce Feldman interview as well as some housekeeping, and then— Which, by the way, let me, let me say this one thing right here. Uh, the housekeeping is very important for you guys, especially you loyal listeners, the base that we formed. Uh, we can't say thank you enough, but there are some changes that you guys have to be aware of. And we're going to get into depth. Very, very uh, detailed explanations are coming in the break. So uh, some things that are coming ahead also. We're, we, we, we are working on some bigger things for Rage and Review, things that we think you guys will really like. Yeah, for sure. So like we said, we'll have all that for you coming up after this break. Stay tuned. Rage and Review. Priority Access Urgent Care, located in the Winwood Shopping Center at 2912 Johnston Street in Lafayette, will provide you with a patient-centered experience with a personal touch. With over 35 years of healthcare experience, President Owner Ed Haney will provide you with exceptional and affordable care for minor injuries, illnesses, and occupational health, offering vaccines and physicals, on-site x-rays, EKG, and lab services, as well as testing for flu, strep, and COVID-19. Now accepting all major medical insurance, including Medicaid, Medicare, and VA insurance. Open seven days a week from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Priority Access Urgent Care, 2912 Johnston Street, where patients are our priority. Call 337-446-0555 for more information or online at PriorityAccessUrgentCare.com. Cajun Nation, welcome back to Rage and Review. Matt Miguez here, and about time Josh Jagno sitting across from me. And Josh, we are we are joined by a very 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 special guest. One of the biggest names in college football. Um, super super excited to sit down with uh, Fox Sports college analyst as well as a writer for the Athletic and a New York Times best-selling author, Mr. Bruce Feldman. Bruce, thank you so much for joining us. And how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. Good to be on with you guys. You know, Bruce, let, let, let's take a second to kind of um, you know talk about your background a little bit for people who may not know too much about. Your, your career, you know, you're a New York Times bestselling author. Um, you just recently wrote a book with LSU head football coach Ed Ogeron. 
and you are a writer for The Athletic. You know, how did all of that kind of, you know, have, have you always wanted to have a career in sports? You know, kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I did. Um, I always loved loved sports and football especially and um, got into the writing probably a little late in the game, but it was something that just felt very comfortable and um, was something that, you know, I've always had a lot of respect for and tried to get better at the craft. And it's not just the writing, it's the reporting and a lot of other things that go into it and it's story development and story ideas. So, um, you know, it's been everything I had hoped for, you know, and TV came a little later. Um, but now, you know, I did five years as a sideline reporter for Fox sports on games and got to see a lot of fun venues and, and you know, I had great experiences with that. And this year I got moved into, uh, or the insider role for the big noon kickoff show on Fox. And as we expanded to two hours and that's been fun. I, I worked some on that show last year, but it was all remote. So now I'm in studio and it's been really good. So, um, you know, no complaints. I'm, I'm thrilled about, you know, what I get to do and I appreciate it. And, you know, it's something I would try to work at 365 days. It's not, you know, it doesn't feel like work. So it's one of those things that, you know, you, you know, you're going to kind of be on call all, all odd hours and maybe you're, you're, you know, you don't have quote unquote normal days off, but that's okay. I mean, if you get to work in sports, as you guys know, that's a, that is a, uh, that is a great, great um great opportunity to have your passion shows i mean your work is uh top notch in my opinion we had your colleague chris vanini on a few weeks ago and um we we talked about the athletic pretty extensively and uh, all of its origins and everything to expound on matt's question i would be curious as to what has your experience been with the athletic and uh, it's a little bit different of a of a format, so I'm just curious how that's how that's been for you, Bruce. I'm a subscriber. I know Matt is. We read your stuff all the time. Well, I appreciate that um, on both fronts, and uh, it's been great because I think the one thing with the athletic is, hey, they just want you to tell really great stories. Go find, go find good stories. Go tell them, and they're committed to that. And sometimes other places just really, really may not have the resources or the commitment to do that. And um, one of the things that I thought about, you know, a little after the fact, because once I got to the athletic, I'd bounced around after I left ESPN after almost 20 years there. Uh, I went to CBS uh, and then I worked at, at Fox and FoxSports.com and then Fox Sports website kind of went away from writing. And so I, I had a year at Sports Illustrated. And what I found was, from the end of my time at ESPN and ESPN magazine to really the start of the athletic, I'd been at a lot of places that were kind of not, I think they were juggling how they felt like what the focus of their stories or coverage should be. I mean, at Fox, we had probably three different in three years, uh, Fox at, at the website, probably three different, um, kind of missions that had changed and evolved. And I think that's, that can be challenging for a writer because if you don't really know exactly what your bosses want and you start going, it's a very subjective business as you guys know, in terms of what's a good story and you may write something you think is a really good story and somebody else may not think it's that good. And there's some other stuff that other people may like that you may not think is good. So it's, it's, it's unique in that regard. Um, but I just felt very comfortable here and it's only grown. And, and I think, 
you know, when I was at SI, I remember I did a really long story on, on Joe Moorhead's offense and spent a lot of time on it, talking to a lot of people. We had a lot of good video clips with it, but it was so kind of hard to read because there were so many ads popping up and video popping up that kind of took away from the story. And you'll never get that at The Athletic. I mean, it's just the story. And that is a luxury in this day and age to have. I think it's a big part of what sets you guys apart is because you don't have to sift through all the BS to get to what you want to, when you, when you want to read. I mean, you can't get totally engulfed into a story when you're getting attacked by, by ads. And that's a great point by you. You brought up SI and uh, this is a self-serving question, but you were at SI during a, a very tumultuous time. Would you take our audience into those days at the SI and how it kind of, I mean, really, to be honest, crashed and burned from, from a consumer standpoint, I can tell you that that's how I felt. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I grew up an SI reader. I'll be perfectly honest. Like I've, been good friends with Andy Staples and Stuart Mandel for a long time. So I knew kind of the challenges there. When I was at ESM Magazine, I worked with a bunch of people who came from SI. Um, but being in California and then being in New York, I really did not know a lot about what was going on at, at SI. And I was only there a year. I'm not trying to cop out on this. On this. Like I, you know, now I, I obviously work with Andy and Stu now. So sometimes we'll see some, some, uh, some threads on other places that will talk about what's going on behind the scenes there. And my God, what a mess that is. And what I only knew at SI was there, like, I think I probably exited there maybe about six months to a year before it really got crazy. And that's basically when Andy was the first one to like grab the parachute and just jump out of the plane before probably a lot of other people there did, because I think Andy knew some of the, some of the reputations of some of the people who had been involved in taking leadership over um, there. And I think that really, um, I think that that was uh, maybe a red flag for him. Um, whereas for me, I didn't, I didn't know all that stuff was coming down the pipe. I knew it was on shaky ground from a financial resources standpoint, but they were like, were they getting sold? Were they not getting sold? Like, um, little like inside baseball stuff. So I interviewed with SI and met with them in New York. I want to say like, I had done this trip where I started at Ohio state, hit a couple of Mac schools, went to Pitt, went to Penn state, ended up driving all the way to, to New York to fly out at a, at a, at a Newark to then fly down to the SEC for some stuff. And I had interviewed with SI and I'd also interviewed with SB nation, which was pretty close. Like, I mean, it was blocks away from the SI office at the time. And a couple of days after that interview, I remember hearing that there was a sale that was going to go through that didn't or something. And then somebody that I had called me high up and said, listen, we still want to hire you. Don't read too much into that. I said, okay. And so I, the way I've approached it, and I'm guessing I'm probably older than you guys, but the way I approached it is at this point in my career, um, every, everything is short. You can't really look long-term, unfortunately. You know, it's not like I was at ESPN almost 20 years and I don't look at things that way anymore. I never thought I was going to leave ESPN. And then when this, you know, with the SI stuff, I was like, all right, I got a one year deal. Let me say one year and an option for another year. Who knows how that's going to be? Let me just take this now and we'll figure it out as we go. And so it's, it's weird to say it like this. And, uh, you know, maybe people would be skeptical, but I was like, I really do not like, 
I just kind of put my head down and do my work in my little space. And that's that. I don't really get too caught up anymore in, you know, the business side of what's going on just because it's out of my hands. It's wild to think that you would say that about an institution like Sports Illustrated. And I grew up with the magazine and the posters and Sports Illustrated was the gospel. And uh, it's a shame what happened there. Um, But anyway, I want to bring it a little bit back close to home. Uh, The genesis of the interview request was the piece that you wrote after we beat Iowa State and uh, Patrick Tony's defense and performance and his comments uh, really stuck out to me. So if you don't mind, maybe talk us through what, you know, how it transpired, how, you know, you reached out to Patrick, he was candid with you. How exactly did that, did that take place? And, uh, and, and which, what is your, your overall opinion of uh, Mr. Patrick Tony after talking with him? Yeah, I had known of Patrick for a while just because of this Ron Roberts, Dave Aranda, um, and there's, there's just layers of it, coaching tree. You know, obviously Pete Golding is in it and Carl Scott's in it and B Brown is, is in it. And they're like kind of, you know, they're not always all tied together, but in terms of like, cause I think B Brown was on the Delta state side with Ron. So, you know, maybe he hasn't quite as tied to some of the other branches, but you have a lot of really well thought of defensive minds in this, in this tree. And I'd always heard of Patrick being the next one. And I had talked to Patrick for my story and Patrick is a Southern California guy as well. And has, um, you know, some good roots out here and a lot of people I knew in coaching thought very highly of him. So to see this is going to be his first opportunity. And I I've done Iowa state games. I saw them give Oklahoma all they could handle last year in Norman. And I knew the quarterbacks talented. And I know the running backs really talented. They got a bunch of tight ends and to see them not have a play of 20 yards, even the whole day uh, is quite a testament for a first time play caller coming out of a pandemic where, you know, I get it. He, uh, you know, like he was part of the staff before, so it wasn't like he had to get to know players, but it's still a, an adjustment. And I thought for Patrick to and his players to play like that, I thought was a real testament, not just to him and those kids, but also just to, you know, Billy Napier's program as a whole. Bruce Feldman, our guest. Bruce, you know, staying on topic with your athletic pieces, uh, you know, you, you sat down with, with Chris Vanini and you guys wrote an excellent piece about the the passing of DJ Looney. Incredible. You know, I'm, I'm curious as to, you know, your experiences with DJ. Uh, everything I've heard is that, you know, ev- basically everybody knew him around college football. Uh, and, you know, what was your interaction with the coaching staff here at Louisiana during that, uh, during that difficult circumstance? Yeah, it was a weekend. And I just, uh, you know, I got to know DJ within the last five years. So, you know, he, we just kind of connected. And I remember he would... Like, I, I think this might have been the last time I talked to him. I don't know this, but like, my, I have young kids that are first graders and they've been in karate for, I don't know, a couple of years. And we were over there and I got a call from him and he had a really distinctive voice. And I remember I had to like walk outside to talk to him for a little bit. And he was checking in, also giving me a heads up on some things and just kind of networking. And he was just this incredibly full of life, really unique figure, you know, like, um, and he's like a, like a one man coaching convention, you know, kind of thing where, you know, you meet guys who have elements of that, you don't have to that degree. And so, um, you know, I, I didn't know how much it was actually Max Olson is another writer who I work with and Max was based in Texas, but is now back home in Nebraska. But, you know, the, I know those guys know a lot of Chris, obviously too, know a lot of 
uh, coaches coming up, not just like we're not talking about the Kirk Ferentz of the world. We're talking about just whether they're position coaches or small school coaches or whatever. Um, you start overturning one stone after the other of everybody has a DJ Looney story, you know, and you kind of lose track of how many people are connected to him. And I could have gone or we could have gone way longer on the story just because, you know, I just, I just remember like I did my freaks list and the coach at central Arkansas, you know, he was really tight with him, you know, and you just have so many layers of knowing DJ um, you know, it was just, I couldn't believe it was gone, you know, because of he's so young and not just cause he's so young because, and this is more than the direction that you want to go in, but like, like, I don't know what it was, six, six seven months earlier at Ashoff, who I worked with at ESPN was really close to out here is this vibrant, full of light. He was early mid thirties, but always, I you always thought Ed was, your, was somebody's little brother. And he was, he always felt like he was like 22 cause he looked like he was 22 and just the most full of life person in every press box he walked into. And Ed died very suddenly on Christmas. Right. And so you go through the memorial service and, and you see your friends and you hear these stories. And in a way, DJ was a little like that where he was so full of life and the most full of life person, you know, in the room. And he's also tragically young when he passed. Um, and so it just like, was like such a jolt of reality, you know? And, um, I don't know. It's just very, very sad. Just, just really, really sad. Yeah. You know, it, it was definitely a, a tough time in Lafayette. Cause you know, like you said, DJ, you know, really touched the lives of everybody he was around in, in such a positive way. Um, you know, kind of getting off of topic with that, but, you know, Bruce, have you ever been to Lafayette in your career before 2020? What was your experiences with Louisiana athletics? And also in your mind, what is the potential of not only this football program, but the athletic department as a whole? Yeah, I, I mean, I've you know I spent a decent amount of time in the state of Louisiana, and some of it working on uh, even the meat market book I did. I guess it's one of thirteen years ago, and then going down to see where Ed Ogeron's from in South Lafourche, and going around uh, different parts of the state that have such ties to people. You know, I remembered Lafayette when I was a kid, as I growing up watching Yankee games because the Ron Guidry was like my favorite pitcher. You know, and I didn't know anything about it because I was a little kid and it was just, you know, Lafayette, Louisiana could have been Bakersfield, California, or it could have been uh, Denver, Colorado. It was just really far away from where I was. You know, you're a little kid. You don't really know anything outside of like around your neighborhood, much less that. But, um, you know, I knew there was always good players down there. I think what I got a better window into what Billy Napier had going um, last summer it was a coaching I don't know last summer maybe it was last year there was a coaching clinic I have a, a buddy who's the defensive line coach for the Saints is a really good assistant coach Ryan Nielsen and he spoke at their clinic and he just was telling me how impressed he was by every facet of what um, Billy's program was about and how good the staff was and I know some of those guys pretty you know decent you know I know their corners coach and I know a little bit I know Patrick a little bit I know Billy a little bit um, you know 
there's a lot of guys I really respect there and I've always heard good things about them. And I think he, you know, the old, the old line coach is in high demand and you just have a collection of really good assistants. So it's not surprising to see that they're having success when you have that kind of foundation. Um, and I'm interested to see where they go because he had opportunities to go leave last year and he, he was going to be choosy and he can be choosy there. So we've seen other programs, whether it's Boise state, um, certainly, or central Florida really just kind of take off. And there's no reason to think that this program can't keep ascending. Billy's a smart man. And we hear his wife loves it here. I mean, how could you not? The food's incredible, right? Yeah, I mean. So, <laughs> so yeah, like you said, he can be choosy. There's no reason to leave now. Uh, he has built a foundation here that, I mean, really and truly, uh, it, it can be the next G5 to really become a, a prominent program. We believe that here. We have for a very long time. I think Billy's done a good job of showing us that it can be done. Uh, and speaking of the G5, one of the reasons why I personally subscribe to The Athletic is because of the G5 coverage. I mean, you know, this is our reality. We, we're a smaller school. We play football in a smaller league. So that stuff's important to us. Um, I'm always wondering, especially from when we speak to national guys, how has the SB has the Sun Belt Conference as a whole started to really raise the floor and gain some respect nationally, uh, maybe from just a perception standpoint? Because for for a while uh, we were the doormat. I mean, it's it's true. I mean, we weren't very good in the Sun Belt. We didn't play great ball. Uh, but I think that's changed over the last decade to you know eight to ten years, something like that. Uh, is that a feeling among the national writers and and maybe just a fan at large? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think you've seen the success. I mean, to beat three big 12 teams the way they did, when you have a big part of the stage, it wasn't like this was a normal first week of the season because you had everybody playing. You didn't. You only had a third of the games. So that was more eyeballs on it. And so I think that was a good stage setter. I think you've seen some of these programs already get, you know, get a little bit of momentum. So I think that's been telling you know would i say it's a better league than the aac at this point i wouldn't but go that far but i think it's you know i think for a while and i remember when you know we could be talking about now uh, 10 years ago the sunbelt felt like it was the clear lowest rung of of fbs and i wouldn't say that anymore there's just too many good coaches in it and too many good players yeah, there's no question about that, Bruce. Um, you know, let's let's dive in. I like to do some some hypothetical, you know, situations. You know, specifically to the Cajuns. Let, let's say they stay on this roll and they go undefeated with wins in Ames against Iowa State, Boone against App State, and then Birmingham against UAB, and even win the Sun Belt title. What do you think is the likelihood that the Cajuns get a legitimate shot at a New Year's Six Bowl? I think there's a chance. Uh, you know, I'll be honest. It's, uh, when you have BYU looking the way BYU is looking, I think that is a little bit of a wild card in that because they're not in a league and they're they're kind of floating. But they've, you know, they had a dominant showing at the Navy team that clearly was struggling in its transition back to, to football. And we'll see where it goes with some of these other things. And we'll see what now that the Mountain West is going to try to start up and play. Um, it's hard to predict where any of this is going to go because who knows how many games are going to get canceled and who knows, you know, what this is going to shake out to be. I mean, you have some teams in, in the AAC that have been, that we think are good. I mean, I certainly think that you have a game, um, 
this this weekend, Memphis SMU, which is which is a compelling matchup. Cincinnati's really good. So I think there's a lot probably a lot of dominoes that have to fall for them to get to that point. But look, I mean the fact that we're actually having this discussion I think is not insignificant about that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think the G5 is compelling regardless of the situation this year. So uh, I'm going to be looking forward to to you know going down the season and, and trying to get these games in. But at the same time, you know, how do you even execute a fair and just playoff in 2020? How do you execute a, a bowl season? You know, uh, it, we sit down here in the G5 and we're trying to fight and claw for everything we can possibly get in the postseason, but. I mean, nationally, from power conference standpoint, how, how does that even look, Bruce? I don't know. It's a great question. I mean, I think it's going to be really a kind of a wild ride right now. I mean, a lot of these, you know, half the conferences haven't played a game yet, right? And so, who knows where this is all headed? I, I just think you just kind of, you know, take one one week at a time is the best way. You know, I know that's a coaching cliche, but I think it's most apt in this year of 2020 with in the middle of a pandemic. Sure. In the same vein, I would ask, and I don't know how much you you follow our program or or App State's program, but in the I don't know last five years or so, we've really developed a rivalry with those guys. It's a it's a good friendly rivalry. I wouldn't say it's nasty or anything, like uh, you know Georgia Southern and App State or the Cajuns, and I don't know we don't even have our rivalries anymore. We're we're basically making new ones, but uh, we're going to play them October the seventh on Wednesday on ESPN night game. Real, I mean it's a really good shot for. A lot of attention nationally. What do you think, uh, or, or maybe what is the perception uh, amongst just an average college football fan uh, of those two programs? Is that game has that game been played enough times and been played well enough uh, for the average football fan to really look forward to and make an impression upon the college football community? Probably not for the average football fan. I think they got up caught up in their own own stuff and probably not dig deep down into other conferences, especially other group of five leagues. Um, I mean, look at this point, I'll be honest, you know, you're hoping, I know app state has had some, you know, a lot of folks in quarantine and you hope that game can actually happen. Um, you know, that would be unfortunate, especially with it being a midweek game, but so we'll see if it, you know, if that game gets played and if it does, um, you know, I think it's a really, you know, two terrific programs in group of five going at it, you know, count me in. I'd like to watch it. Bruce, you know, while, while we're talking about that game, I, I'd like to know, and I know that our, our listeners would like to know as well, you know, what are your individual expectations of that game? Do you expect a, uh, a good classic performance between the two programs? I do. You have two really good quarterbacks and I think that's a good starting point. I think you have some speed on defense. So, you know, right now I wouldn't, after what I've seen from, from Louisiana, I would not pick against them, but, uh, you know, again, and, and some of it's, it's hard to, it's a hard, you know, dynamic sometimes when you hear of one school might be dealing with some, some real sizable COVID issues in the, in the run up to the game. I think that only makes it that much harder to, to feel like, okay, I'm going to pick them in the game or whatnot. If, if that's some of the stuff you're hearing as some of the stuff I'm hearing. So, so we'll see, um, you know, it's still a week between now and then, and we'll see how, how, how it goes. Yeah, we had our own issues uh, this last week, and uh, it, it was terrifying to say the least. But I just want to point out to the, fan, to the listeners out there that we got Bruce Feldman on record, big Louisiana Raging Cajun fan there, 
Uh, <laughs> but but I do want to ask this question on the on a serious note uh, before we let you get out of here, Bruce. We yep. obviously we have a great coach. We think a ton of him and and his staff that he's assembled here. Uh, it's always a topic of conversation in La- in Lafayette. Is Billy going to be here next year? Is Billy going to be gone? Uh, I tend to think that the coaching carousel is going to be a little bit slower this year because of the circumstances that we've all been living under. Uh, I think programs have less money to basically waste on buyouts. I, I think that I think that probably coaching uh, coaches agents maybe can they have a little bit more ammo in the athletic department's office when they say, "Hey, my guy was under impossible uh, uh, situation here." Give them another year. What do you think? Do you think the coaching, the, the coaching changes will be down in 2020? I do. And add on to that, just less money that is going to be out there. So schools aren't going to have the resources to make some of those decisions. My, you know, my guess is one of the jobs that potentially could come open is a pretty good SEC job. And that could be if Will Muschamp doesn't win enough at South Carolina. And obviously, you know, Billy has spent time in that state. I don't know that that's the job he would jump and leave for. Um, who knows? I mean, it's way early to, to kind of make that prediction, but um, I, can tell you, I can tell you for sure that we know that South Carolina is one of the maybe three jobs that he would take. Yeah, I mean, that's the one that like. So if I'm a if I'm a Raging Cajuns fan, I'm rooting for the Gamecocks to get to six wins or something. You know, because six and four might be enough to keep him on there. So I don't know. It's beyond that. I don't, I don't see the job fits that are going to come open. He already had a lot of turnover in the SEC and there were jobs that I'm not sure he was that interested in at that point. So, um, so we'll see what, how this unfolds, but that would be the one I would be like, you know, kind of circling to keep an eye on. Bruce, one more question before we let you go. You know, um, Ed Ogeron is coming out with a book next month titled flip the script that you, uh, that you kind of helped him, Piece together, and it's you know a story about the lessons that he learned in multiple aspects in route to what many people are calling the greatest college football team ever. Uh, you know, talk talk about that experience a little bit, getting to know him and getting to know his roots and what what led him to national championship success. Yeah, he had to make a lot of changes and a lot of time when a lot of coaches are typically pretty stubborn and, and don't look inward. He did in the face of a big failure after his time at Ole Miss. And he made some hard decisions and hard evaluations and worked to get better as a coach and as a person and as a father. And, and I think what was crucial for him is not only did he have that, but he also made some of those same evaluations, even when he replaced his friend Lane Kiffin as the interim head coach at USC. And I think he learned from not only his own mistakes, but from Lane's mistakes. And he's continued to grow and continued to evaluate, continue to develop. And I, I mean, I have some great material um, that we have in with the script and I'm excited for people to read it. Um, you know, and they can go to amazon.com right now and pre-order it. And I think it's a story. You don't have to be an LSU diehard fan to really get hooked in it. I think there's just some really great coaching lessons and great behind the scenes detail of what it takes to run a program that I think people haven't heard from other, you know, before. It's really not from his story. I mean, he's been out there, but not into this degree of of sharing his experiences in depth and and what it was like behind the scenes and hearing from Joe Burrow and 
the coaches and Joe's family and different folks there inside the LSU program as they went from him taking over as an interim to, like you said, them arguably having the greatest season in college football history in 2020. Bruce, we certainly appreciate it, man. The thing about Ogeron is, uh, you know, Lafayette and Baton Rouge have a rivalry. It's a state thing. But uh, one thing about this culture is we love our own. So we were happy to, you know, have you on and talk about the book. Let people know when it will be available for purchase and where they can find you, uh, Twitter, social, whatever. Yeah, so the, the best way uh, for people to, to get the book, just pre-order at Amazon.com. Go to Flip the Script, uh, you, or you can go to my Twitter feed. It's Bruce Feldman, CFB, and just there's a link right there. Click the link. Uh, you can get it now. Um, it should be out in the next couple of weeks. And like I said, I'm really excited about it because I just know that um, I know the material inside is really good. Um, and is really in depth and he opened up in a way that, like I said, I, I don't think he's ever done. And so I think people will find it pretty fascinating. Bruce Feldman has been our guest. Bruce, thank you so much for joining us and, uh, good luck the rest of the way this season. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, you know, it is shaping up to be one of the oddest and yet most intriguing college football seasons ever. No doubt. Guys, I appreciate your time and I appreciate your interest and uh, thanks for having me on. Thanks for the time, Bruce. Appreciate you very much. You got it. And there he goes, Mr. Bruce Feldman. We will take a break and when we come back, we will be joined from one legend to another. We'll go from Bruce Feldman into Tim Brando right here on Razor Review. Chris Russo of Russo Exploration encourages you to donate to the Raging Cajun Athletic Foundation. The RCAF, the official fundraising arm of Louisiana Athletics, supports over 400 student-athletes across 16 NCAA sports. You can invest in the RCAF today for as little as $5 a month. Just go to myrcaf.org to get started or call 337-851-RCAF. As always, donations to the RCAF are tax-deductible. Your investment today will enrich the lives of every athlete that puts on the vermilion and white. Go Cajuns! Welcome back to Origin Review. Matt Miguez here. Josh Jagno, man about town, sits across from me. We were just joined by Bruce Feldman, you know, legendary college football analyst and New York Times bestselling author. And, you know, that was such a fun interview. But before, and, you know, I, we said at the beginning, we will also be joined later in the show by Tim Brando. Um, God, another great interview. Yeah. Um, Yep. But, you know, but before we get into that, there's a little bit of housekeeping that we need to do. And we're going to start with our hosting platform. You know, we've been using SoundCloud for forever and a day here on here on Region Review. But, you know, we, we decided to do a little bit of research, a little bit more we wanted to do with, with this. And we have found a new home. You know, with growth comes change. It's just, it's the nature of the beast. And... SoundCloud, not to say anything bad about SoundCloud, they've been fine, but uh, Captivate really just 
it it streamlines our processes and and right now with the amount of growth and the amount of content and the things that we do while we we have these these uh, opportunities to make these episodes and have national guests and whatnot it it the, the workload has been a little overwhelming. So, you know, obviously Jerry stepped away because of his uh, home obligations. So it's really, Matt and I ha- have really taken on the bulk of the the workload uh, we've had to. So what we're trying to do is just get a little more lean and, and we don't want to waste time on small things. Um, obviously details matter, but we want to be able to concentrate on content, uh, bringing the best guests we can possibly get and talking about the games and, you know, that's what makes us great, I think. Yeah, and sure. uh, so moving to Captivate, that is the number one, uh, you know, the, the, the number one motivation for moving to Captivate. We we, don't, we hate to lose SoundCloud. Obviously, people have been going to SoundCloud for so long to find us, and, and we, of course, appreciate it. But just come on with us to Captivate. It's very important. You're going to like the interface. It's a lot easier to navigate, play. I think it looks visually better. And now, you know, thanks to Captivate, we're now on. All the Spotify, majors. Spotify, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn. Amazon. So Amazon Music. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, even if you don't want to use Captivate, you know, we, we, we look at the analytics constantly. And most of you guys are listening through Apple Podcast. Yeah. And the truth I is mean, a lot of our listeners are not going to be affected at all. It's the right. people that go directly to SoundCloud to access us. Correct. We will not, we will no longer be found on SoundCloud because it is a hosting if you website. Have, if you have, we'll make this easier. If you have an iPhone, use Apple Podcast or Spotify. If you have an Android you can save Captivate to your home screen. Obviously, we can teach you guys how to do that. Or you can use Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, whatever it may be. Furthermore, we're going to be making uh, these tutorial videos on our YouTube page. Did you know we had a YouTube page? Yeah, well, that's that's a fledgling, it's fledgling YouTube page. But hey, uh, you know we're gonna be doing some stuff. Go hit that subscribe button. There's also a possibility of uh, you know we're gonna be live on these shows, so you guys can watch us be fools on here. Hello. But hey, you know, we're trying to reach audiences and get our stuff out because we think it's good. And uh, if you look at the numbers, we're right. So we're gonna be doing that. Uh, there's a few other things. Let's see. We already mentioned the renovated lab. Yeah. Uh, again, Matt and I are really working to I mean, you, improve. You can just tell the audio quality. Sure. We're, 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 we're going to do everything that we can possibly do to always get better. And also, you know, talk, talking about that, if you guys have any suggestions yes. on ways to improve things, you know, if somebody's you know audio savvy or whatever it may be, please, please give us ideas. Yes. And always, always looking for a way to get better. Something that's going to change, this is going to be a little more significant for people on sports forums and, and Ruger Rooms and Raging Pages and things like that. Uh, again, talking about the workload, it takes just too much time to go there, find all the timestamps, post everything. So if you want a detailed rundown of the episode, inside of Captivate, there's an option for episode notes. Go into the episode notes. We'll, we're going to post a tutorial for that as well. It'll show you everywhere that uh, the details and the timestamps will be so that you can, you know, if there's certain areas that you really want to listen to, uh, we'll, we'll avail that to you. Uh, but but all of those details are not going to go away. They will just be in a different place. So that's important. Uh, you'll be able to still go back and listen to all the episodes. We're going to carry that all over as well. Uh, there's really It's really a small change, but we have to tell you guys because if you go to SoundCloud and we're not there, you say, well, is Razor Review still here? What's going on? So, uh, so that so it's very important. Urge people to subscribe, rate, review on all platforms. Yeah, we uh, have a, we we've got to pick up our. If you hear what we're doing and you like us, 
We need you to tell people about it. I mean, that's anybody that's in the game understands that. Anybody that has a business understands that. What the consumer thinks of your product is a lot more important when they say it rather than when they read it in an ad. So we can do all the ads we want. We can do all the radio spots we want, you know, and we've done a few of those things. But at the end of the day, our audience that listens to our show regularly and supports what we do here, uh, you're going to be the catalyst to growing the podcast. Absolutely. And, and we, we really need you guys to try to do that. You know, rate, subscribe, review, whatever, Spotify, iTunes, whatever. And message us on all of our social medias. Email us. I mean, it, it, we, we posted our social medias and our email. I mean, everywhere. Yes. If, if you've got a suggestion, if you've got... Good, a, bad, if whatever. You, if you've got a show segment that you want us to start doing... Yes. Yeah, I mean, let, let us know. We're Absolutely. Always, we're always open to ideas. Um, like I said, always looking to get better. And don't be offended if we don't take your advice. Right. Come on, guys. You, your, your advice is appreciated just because we don't use it. Right. And you have to understand there's limited things we can do. So if we don't take your advice, it's not because we didn't like it. It's because, well, we, we got to figure out a way to fit it within our right. format. And so, also... Also, merchandise. Um, you know, we're, we're looking to start making some Rage Interview merch, get the name out around town. Hats, caps. Yeah, for sure. T-shirts, whatever it may be. More koozies. Yes. Um, if you've got an idea, if you've got somebody that can help us bring it to life. If you want a partner. If you, yeah, what, whatever, let us know. Um, like I said, always looking to do stuff like that um, just so that we can get our name as far and wide as possible, like our intro says, spreading Cajun across the nation and pushing the brand across the land. It's not just a hook. It's not just an intro. It's something that we really think and believe and we're trying to do. It's uh, it's a little bit of a mission, or if you want to call it yeah. that. So, you know, again, we believe in it and we're going to continue to push forward with it. And uh, we, we need you guys' help as much as you're wanting to participate. So uh, we appreciate the listenership. We appreciate the growth. We appreciate you guys following and interacting. Please continue to do that. Um, this is not possible without sponsors and uh, the audience. It's all about those people. So we certainly appreciate it. And this is good. this episode is probably my favorite of all time. Absolutely. Guys, appreciate you coming to the TED Talk. Uh, we'll <laughs> take a break. And when we come back, Tim Brando joins us the for Tim Brando. A, a very long, candid interview. God, so much fun. It was fun. You'll, you'll love it. A um, little over an hour. No, that's kind of long, but just just tune it's in. Worth it. It'll it'll fly by. Right here, Ridge Review. Schilling Distributing Company, Acadiana's top alcohol distributor for over 70 years, has been a proud supporter of Louisiana athletics for many of those years. Now, they've kindly decided to become the exclusive distributing sponsor of the Rage and Review podcast. This is just another chapter in Schilling Distributing's rich history of giving back to the Lafayette community. Starting as an Anheuser-Busch exclusive distributor, they're now expanded to include local brews for your sipping pleasure. Schilling services over 1,500 local businesses throughout the Acadiana area, employing 160 Ragin' Cajun residents, and they boast over 1,400 years of combined experience. Corporately headquartered right here in Lafayette at 2901 Moss Street, Schilling Distributing encourages Cajun Nation to enjoy their beverages responsibly and reminds you to download the Liquid Finder app today. 
PSC Supply and Hardware, locally owned since 1987, is the official hardware store of the Range and Review podcast. PSC is Louisiana's oldest dealer of Traeger grills and one of two platinum dealers in the state. PSC is your barbecue headquarters, carrying PK and Weber grills, Blackstone products, and the largest selection of barbecue seasonings in South Louisiana. Do you need propane? On sale every Saturday. What about pellets for your electric smokers? That's on sale every Saturday, too. Come see Willie and the gang out at PSC Supply and Hardware, 1014 Albertson Parkway in Broussard, or call 337-837-2811. Check out their website, pscsupply.com. Cajun Nation, welcome to Raging Review. Matt Miguez here. Josh Jagno, Men About Town, sitting across from me. And, you know, we, we told you guys in the intro, legends upon legends upon legends. I mean, Bruce, Bruce Feldman sat down with us earlier, which was ridiculous. Uh, now we are joined by another legend. Louisiana you, legend. You, you, you've heard his voice everywhere, from March Madness to SportsCenter, CBS, Fox Sports, XM whatever Radio. it may be. You know, the resume goes... On and on and on for Mr. Tim Brando. Tim, thank you so much for joining us. How are you today? Fellas, I'm good. Thanks for having me on. I'm, uh, gosh, you got me after Bruce Feldman. My goodness, that's uh, Mr. College Football Insider there. So, so much for the information portion of your show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bruce was great. Bruce was great. Yeah. So, Tim, you know, we, we kind of, when we, when we get guests like this, we kind of want to take a second and just let them talk about their career. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at some of your career highlights, and, man, it just doesn't end. Well, you know, look, there, there's some would say uh, Brando's really comfortable when speaking about himself, first <laughs> and foremost. But 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 it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just a blessed guy. I think most people, most of your uh, listeners probably know my, my background, and if they don't, um, I don't mind enlightening them a little bit, but the truth of the matter is um, uh, I've lived um, all but 12 years in my hometown, which is really a cool thing to be able to say and, and be in this business. Um, to have lived 64 years and to have lived in my hometown for all but 12 of those years uh, and, and be at the, at the level of network sports television that, that I've been is really something I dreamed of. And um, people from uh, my generation had that opportunity. People prior to my generation really didn't. Uh, if you were going to succeed at the network level, you had to be in Boston, Chicago, New York, LA uh, to make it. You know, you had to be there. Uh, but the, this, this new thing called cable television emerged uh, at the very time that my... Um, career was beginning to take off. And had I not been in Baton Rouge, had I not been in New Orleans at the times that I was uh, working there, uh, I probably would not have had the uh, opportunities to send out tapes of my work, whether I was covering LSU or I was covering the Saints, uh, to get noticed. But I, but I was. And I, I did everything uh, that I could to stay on the, on the play-by-play bicycle, even though I was doing a lot of studio work as a local anchor at Channel 9 in Baton Rouge. And, 
and um, and I did a lot of radio. I mean, a boatload of radio, uh, both in Baton Rouge and in New Orleans. And the combination of staying busy, staying active, uh, really not taking any days off. I tell people this all the time, guys. They'll say, um, how much time do you prepare for what you do, whether it's to get ready for a game or when you were at the studio at CBS? Uh, how, how much time do you really invest in, in your work. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't know. I, I, this is what I always wanted to do. I knew when I was six years old, what I wanted to do. So this is not just a job. I mean, this is a way of life. This isn't my, just my vocation. It's really who I am. Um, I have thrown myself into sports television and sports radio for, uh, you know, a generation, actually two generations. This is my um, 49th year. Uh, I've only been here for 64, but it's my 49th year of calling football games. I was doing high school football uh, in Monroe, Louisiana on KLIC radio uh, for Neville High School in 1971. So next year, when I'll still be 64, okay, in the fall of next year, and um, it'll be my 50th year calling games. Now think about that. <laughs> Not many guys 64 can say they've been doing this for 50 years or almost, and I'm there. I'm right at that point. And, uh, you know, having a father that was a, a television pioneer, uh, a broadcaster, an entertainer, uh, he was by far and away the light of my life and the inspiration uh, the initial inspiration of being the quote, um, the man for me. And, uh, I wanted to be like him. And then I realized after looking up to him and watching him shave and put on some old spice to go into the television station, I started watching other people that were doing what he was doing. And especially those doing games, football games and basketball games. And in the case of my real hero and later my mentor, Kurt Gowdy, a man that was, um, synonymous with sports when I was growing up I later have him as my mentor, uh, which, which he was from 1982 on, uh, you know, I've, I've just been absolutely blessed. So I don't really think about how much effort or investment of time that I put into what I do. I live it. You know, I wake up thinking about it. I go to bed thinking about it. And my diversion is my family. Uh, I'll be married 42 years on October 7th to the same woman. I'm very proud of that. Uh, I've got two wonderful daughters and three magnificent grandkids and another one that will be here in February, we just learned. So I'll have four. It'll be ranging in age from just over four to infancy uh, by the time we get to February. So I'm a, I'm a really blessed man. And, uh, but I did have a plan. Uh, I, I tell people this too. I, I did have a plan that, um, you know, I was going to work my way uh, to relevancy and I was going to make people pay attention. Um, and it, it helped to have a dad that was able to facilitate opportunity for me doing those high school games uh, for Neville back in 71. And I later did uh, high school games by myself in East Texas uh, over in Longview for Pine Tree, the Pine Tree Pirates in 1972, three and and four, which were my sophomore, junior, and senior years of high school. So 
by the time I had gotten to college, I had already been a weekend sports anchor at the NBC affiliate in Shreveport. So, uh, and I, and I was a, a high school debate champion and, uh, that's why I went to Northeast at that time was because I'd won a number of speech and debate scholarships and, uh, and, and had an opportunity to go and at a, at a pretty cut rate. <laughs> and that's why I went there. But I was, I was already very active in the business by the time I got to school. Not, you know, it was just opportunity meeting preparation in the end. Uh, and this is, I think the key to anyone in, in broadcasting. Uh, if you go at it hard enough. And when I was working at channel nine, I was also doing tiger vision, LSU football, basketball. I was doing Raycom and, Jefferson pilot and anybody that had a game that needed an announcer, I was willing to fly and go do it. I mean, I, I didn't take any days off because I really wanted to, to, to make it, you know, I felt a clock in my head that I needed, I needed to be uh, relevant before I was 30 in sports television. And uh, lo and behold, the ESPN started using me in 1985. I was 29 years old. And by, by the time uh, December of 86 rolled around at age 30, uh, I was moving to Bristol uh, not to work. I was living in Farmington, Connecticut. And, you know, I think everything that happened after that was by virtue of my getting to that point. Um, and it's, you know, look, we, we all evolved, you know, uh, and, and having worked at both ESPN and then Turner Sports for three years, doing the NBA, doing the Atlanta Braves, being part of a World Series, um, that just opened up even more doors, and CBS uh, took uh, uh, attention to what I was doing, hired me in 1996 for the NCAA tournament, and then I had a wonderful 18-year run with them. So, And then and I think with all those things said, fellas, Fox is uh, the most fun uh, that I've ever had. It has been with Fox Sports, and I went there, in uh, 2014, I'm starting my seventh year with it. And uh, I'm finally doing only play-by-play. You know, I'm not in a studio anymore, which was great to me. It, it added to my visibility. Uh, it helped me become who I am, I think, in terms of recognition, both uh, visual as well as um, my voice. But now I'm finally doing what I always wanted to do, and that's call games every Saturday afternoon and call college basketball nonstop. And when I'm done with that and the spring hits, I'm ready for a, a reboot and recharge. So I come home and, and uh, run to the Home Depot to pick up uh, the manure when my wife says pick it up <laughs> and, and, and just be a family man and, and wait for the next college football season to roll around. So uh, that's, that's a wonderful, I hope in like three minutes time, four minutes time there, I kind of gave you the world according to me. You know, Tim, it, it's kind of funny, you know, listening to you talk about your career. It sounded eerily similar to childhood NCAA tournament games. <laughs> I mean, I, I can remember in, in March, I would play hooky from school just so I could sit at home and watch, you know, the round of 32. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I hear you. And I was the same way as a kid. I would, uh, I would tell uh, my, my, my dad fortunately was, um, on my side because he was in the business, but I would play sick, you know, on the days when the NLCS and ALCS were being televised. And, and that started, I think in 69. So I would have been 13. So 
so I'm like in the sixth or seventh grade. And I would uh, check out of school at noon so I could go back and listen to Kurt Gowdy call uh, the Reds and the Mets, you know, <laughs> in the in LCS. <laughs> you know, that's just, he was the soundtrack of my life. What you're telling me is I'm a little bit uh, the soundtrack of your life. And that's, uh, that's humbling. And not, not many people associate humbling and me in the same sentence that often. But, you know, you get to this stage of your life and you start hearing this from guys such as yourselves. And it, it really makes you feel good, makes you feel complete. Interesting. It's an interesting the soundtrack of your life. You know, as a child, it wasn't a lot of Ninja Turtles and uh, whatever other cartoon was popular in my household. I was watching the NLCS. I was watching the NCAA tournament, college yeah. football, et cetera. Right. Right. So Tim Brando's definitely on my pantheon of the soundtrack oh, uh, 100%. Uh, of my, my childhood, man. There's a few others, obviously the old sports center anchors and things like that. But uh, mm-hmm. Tim, Tim, we're going we're gonna to get to football, but I have some, some golf questions that I want to ask. Um, <laughs> okay. So I, you know, I, I follow you on social media and I see that you, you're pretty active. And, uh, there was one recently that you and, uh, old, old lefty there, Phil Mickelson had an exchange and I'm a big golf guy. So I, I would love to know what your relationship with Phil is. And if you have any good Phil stories, because man, I, I have heard some, some uns- unsubstantiated rumors, but, uh, Phil has got to be the greatest hang of all time. Yeah, he's, he's really a cool, cool guy. And we used to have, and I know you guys down there in Lafayette had um, a Nike tour event over at La Triomphe, if memory serves me correctly. You may still have it. I don't know. Um, but we had an event on my course where I live at Southern Trace. And we had it until about 2005 or six, uh, And it was the old Hogan tour, which became the Nike tour, which became uh, what is now the Corn Ferry tour. Um, okay. And a lot of guys, including Tom Lehman, our own, uh, hometown star, David Toms, uh, Chris DeMarco, a lot of great players, um, made their mark on those, on that tour before they hit it big on the PGA tour. Tom Lehman's brother, uh, was working for the PGA back then. And the PGA would come in, take your golf course over. And, you know, we'd have a pro-am and that kind of thing. And we had local organizers and, and volunteers. And I was one. I, I mean, I love golf. Golf, golf is truly uh, my departure from, uh, it's my hunting, it's my fishing, it's my, you know, whatever you do to get your mind off of your business or off your personal life. Anything to just kind of veg out, that's my golf. You know, for five, four and a half, five hours, whatever it takes. I'm just concentrating on hitting a little white ball and trying to get it in the hole in, in fewer than 80 strikes. That's the goal every time I go out. Uh, but when I initially moved back to Louisiana from Connecticut, I had just learned how to play golf while I was in New England. My friend John Saunders, God rest his soul, was my best friend in this business, and we worked together. We came to ESPN at the very same time. John was an old hockey player and he, he, he got me started on golf and uh, I loved it and, and was addicted. And so when I had a chance to move home uh, and stay at ESPN, which I did in 1990, uh, probably about the time you were being born, you guys, I'm thinking, or maybe even before, um, I'm moving home and they're just building this brand new golf course that's in a golf course community. And that, that, this is where I wanted to build the dream house. So, uh, my wife 
uh, and I determined that's what we were going to do. Our, our daughter, our, our only daughter at the time was six years old. So she's starting first grade and we're having this event, um, this first event around 1991 or so and or 92, somewhere in there. And, uh, two or three years go by, I'm meeting all these guys, all these tour players and, uh, uh, Layman's brother, who worked for the PGA, asked me to MC because he knew I had worked at ESPN. And he said, Tim, would you mind being our host? We'll just give you a microphone. We're going to have a shootout among our players. We've got like uh, 15 guys. We're going to start on one and we're going to start eliminating players from every hole. So it's just a shootout. Um, and I said, so in other words, if if a guy makes birdie, somebody's got to match it. If no one does, somebody makes par, they're out. Somebody makes an eagle, then they don't and you keep on going. And this goes on for like nine holes. And they told me to have fun. They told me to give these guys a hard time. Now, most of the guys on that tour were younger guys, uh, younger guys than me. And, but, but they knew who I was and I was finding out who they were. Um, DeMarco was one of them. Uh, there were several others, uh, but it was Layman's brother that was, um, I don't know, for whatever reason, I guess, impressed or championed me and said, Tim, we'd like for you to do these a few more times. So I did. I did about two or three other events out of town for them. They paid me a nice fee, and I went. Uh, Tom's uh, Tom's brother then calls me and says, hey, Tim, uh, and this was right after Lehman finished second in the U.S. Open. I want to say it was 95 at Congressional. And, and Mickelson was in the hunt, could have won it and didn't. It was one of the many times that Phil finished second at the U S open. He's still a young, young guy in 95. I mean, uh, yeah, 24, 25, but established people knew him. And, uh, he said, look, uh, Tom's having an event at his old course in Minnesota on the 4th of July. And, uh, we're, we were inviting Ben Crenshaw, Paul Azinger, uh, Phil Mickelson and Tom, and they're going to have a shootout and, but it's going to be 18 holes. And we'd love to have you as the commentator on this historic course that once had a U.S. open back in the forties and fifties. And I, I'm like, sure. I'd love to do that. I mean, I was like a kid in a candy store. Well, Crenshaw goes on, goes on to win the masters that year. Okay. So he wins the masters for the second time, which makes the event huge. Because now you've got Zinger, who had won uh, a major in the PGA. You've got Crenshaw, just won a Masters. You've got this uh, incredible left-hander that is a shot maker. Uh, Phil Mickelson hadn't won a major, but he's really the hottest young player on tour. And so we get started, and Phil was clearly the youngest of the group. And uh, we're walking down the first tee. I was doing Atlanta Braves games at this time. Uh, with Ernie Johnson Sr. That's Ernie Johnson of Ernie Johnson NBA fame with Shaq and and Charles Barkley and company on uh, Inside the NBA. I, I worked with his dad for three years doing uh, Atlanta Braves baseball, which was also a thrill. And Phil knew this, and he'd also seen me a lot and was a big fan. All golfers are big fans of other sports, college football, basketball, you name it. Uh, I think of all professional athletes, golfers probably are the biggest sports fans of other sports that you'll find. And so we're walking down the opening 
shots are hit. We're walking down, and Phil comes up to me, and he says, uh, hey, Mr. Brando, uh, tell me about my pods this year. <laughs> and first off, I'm thinking, hey, Mr. Brando. Now, I'm probably 14 years older than Phil, so he's like 25, and I'm about 39 or 40 at this time. And I just looked at him and I said, oh, you mean you're Padres? Yeah, I'm a Padres fan. Tell me about him. And so I, I'm, I'm talking to him about Tony Gwynn and all this other stuff. And it just occurred to me at that time, wow, this guy, Nicholson, is like uh, looking up to me and calling me Mr. Brando, you know? And so as the holes went by, Crenshaw and Azinger, are picking up on this. So they're, you know, Crenshaw's my age. And Ben comes up to me and he says, Hey, the kid likes you. Make him do some stuff. <laughs> I said, Well, what do you mean? He says, Well, he's got these trick shots. So we get up to the, you know, if he if he's got a, a, a sand wedge in each head, make him hit the one where up against the hill where he hits it over his head. So you know, I started goading him into doing all this stuff. And he did it. It was incredible. It turned out to be one of the most enjoyable uh, afternoons. And of course, uh, the players were all giving him a hard time and he was up to it and he would, he would throw stuff right back in their face. He, he is clearly, uh, an agitator. He loves that. He loves to stir the pot and I'm sort of that way too. That's kind of my personality. Uh, I think a lot of people, uh, saw that or maybe felt that when I was doing my radio shows back in the day, I couldn't quite figure out that this serious play-by-play or a studio host could have this much fun or be, you know, a little bit, a bit of a, a bit of a smart ass from time to time, which that's kind of the other side of my personality. And Phil and I really connected that way. And, um, so when he did what he did with one of my shots, it was sort of a random shout out, like, man, nice move or, you know, something like that. It was uh, very pleasing to me, <laughs> you know, for my nine handicap uh, senior tour self. I was uh, I was pretty excited to see him react in such a way on Twitter, and he has a couple of times since, even yesterday. He liked one that I put out, so it's uh, it's nice. That's great. I was I saw that and I thought I bet you he's got a good Phil story. But look, we're kindred spirits. You are you talking did, you to just did, you. Just didn't know it was. You just didn't know it'd be that long, did you? Hey, it doesn't matter. I, I can listen. That that is that is podcast yeah, porn no, for that me. Was, that was phenomenal. I, I, I can listen to golf stories behind. You know, I I could care less about what what the broadcasters say during a telecast. I want to know what's going on on the side. Who's making what bet? Is this going to be a money hole? You know, if you're well, over well, going on a Saturday, I mean, hey. Well, yeah. The, well, there was money exchanging hands on every hole. For sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for sure but look Absolutely. We, yeah. we are kindred spirits in that uh you were talking to king of the assholes right here so yeah. i like <laughs> i like to stir the pot a, a lot myself but uh but that's great I, and i appreciate your being candid there that's that's i'm sure you have a million of those type of stories uh i didn't i saw that you played fallen oak what was that last week down in biloxi uh no that was actually um that was actually uh a year ago i was uh, okay. i was kind of hearkening back to uh my last trip down to the Gulf coast because of the storm that was hitting. I was worried about fallen Oak. I was worried about South Mississippi and South Alabama and, and certainly the Florida uh, peninsula there. And, um, sure. you know, a lot of those people have really gone through a hard time, particularly with COVID, you know, the, the casinos all shut down 
Beau Ravage and the people that run Beau Ravage are really good friends of mine. Brandon Dardo, who was the second in command there uh, for that casino. And he also uh, works for Caesars and they've got obviously the uh, properties up in the Memphis area too, uh, just outside Memphis, Tennessee. And, um, you know, Brandon's an old uh, ULM golfer and uh, a really good guy. And so I was thinking about him. I was thinking about his family. And I put out a couple of videos there of my, my trip down there. I think it was August of, of 19. So it was a little over a year ago. And that's a great place. I mean, a great place. And, it and it frankly, really is. It's one of the most pure golf experiences I've ever oh, had. No yardages, absolutely. no no tees, yeah. nothing. Just tee it up and roll. Yeah, it's it's the ultimate Fazio design, but it's not as hard as a lot of Fazio courses. Yeah, it's playable. Uh, by example, Squire Creek up here uh, in Chudron, just outside Ruston, where Skip Holtz and a lot of the other Louisiana Tech people, uh, hierarchy lives. In fact, it's a drawing card, really. People wonder, how can you know? why would you coach at Louisiana Tech or why would you want that job? Well, one of the reasons is, is being able to live at Squire Creek and surrounding area. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. And if you're an avid golfer, I mean, it's, it's, it's magnificent. I mean, it's just... Um, I've never shot better than 85 on that golf course, though. It's it's harder than Pinehurst number two to me because it's wow. it's it's more it's it's more uphill. It's a far more hilly course than say Pinehurst, but the greens are every bit as diabolical as Pinehurst. Well, no wonder the you northeast know, you, of Louisiana produces so many good golfers. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, that's where Sam Burns is at every day. You know that. Sam's a neighbor of mine. He grew up on Southern Trace, and that's where he's playing when, when he's in his offseason to keep his game sharp. But the thing about Fazio courses, the reason I brought it up is, um, you know, those courses are always diabolical. And if you're a, you know, you're, you're a senior player as I am, and your biggest tee ball is going to be about 260, 270, uh, you better play the forward keys if you're going to be successful there. And you better be in the middle of a really good ball striking day or you're going to, you know, threaten a hundred. I mean, you could, you could four putt, not three putt, but four putt several holes. If you're above the hole at Squire Creek, just like you're above the hole at Pinehurst number two, forget about it. <laughs> you're, you're going to three putt. It's an automatic three putt. So, uh, but the thing about Fallen Oak, Fazio did a great job with Fallen Oak, but I think it's a much more enjoyable uh, round of golf for the amateur that's a double-digit handicapper to enjoy because uh, you don't have the, the steep slopes uh, in the fairways that you have at so many other Fazio courses. And the bunkers, while they, they exist, they are not as diabolical. Okay, you can get out of them. They're you placed know, you, well. They, they, they yeah. make sense. Yes. Yeah, they do. No doubt about it. Uh, but that's um, that's that's the reason why you saw that uh, that piece from from there on Twitter. I uh, when I play, and again, I'm when I moved back to home. I just you know I was an '80s boom golfer, just fell in love with it in my 30s, and because I was left-handed, you know, you couldn't find left-handed equipment until say around 1987 or '88. I mean, it just didn't exist. Wow. So that's the only reason I didn't play when I was a kid. And when Saunders got me out on the golf course, I was just, oh, man, I fell in love with it. And 
but I, I moved here in 1990 and I was a 25 handicap. I mean, I, I sucked. But I, I progressively got better and better and better and, you know, started playing in some city amateurs and that kind of thing. Played in my own flight, you know, with people that were of the same caliber that I was and, you know, just improved a little bit. A little bit of competitive golf will really help you enjoy golf when you play with your friends. I think playing a little bit competitively yes. can help. And uh, gosh, it's fun. And uh, so now when I go out, uh, I can enjoy the game. Uh, and not get mad, too mad, even if I have a bad day. I mean, if I shoot an 88 after I've shot a 78, I'm not going to kill myself. It's golf. We know that. Yes. You know, golf is hard. Yes. It's it's a hard game. You know, Tim, so, one of the best... Now that's what I love about it. One of the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten was from an old-timer when I got started. I started playing in my late 20s, really got committed to it, maybe 27, 28. But he said, if you treat your golf game and improving it like a mission, you're going to hate it. If you treat yeah. it like a journey and understanding that it takes reps, time, days, weeks, months, years, then you'll love it. You'll fall in love with the process of getting yeah. better. And I... I that's yeah. the best thing that I ever heard from anyone that talked about the game of golf and learning how to enjoy it. Well, um, it mirror it, it mirrors life. Uh, it if certainly anyone does. ever read, if you read the movie, if you if you've read the book, Bagger Vance, if you saw the movie, the movie wasn't as good as the book. But Bagger Vance is is really what it's all about. Golf mirrors life, and there are there are times when seminal moments in your life occur, and you if you're playing eighteen holes of golf. You can almost feel, feel when your game takes off, a big moment in your round, or you can also feel when the wheels are coming off in a moment in your round. And you've got to fight through those wheels coming off. Golf sort of teaches you that discipline. And um, look, I was, uh, you know, I was a, a very competitive team sport guy as a kid. I gave up football in the eighth grade because I wanted to announce games with my dad in the, in the ninth grade. But I played basketball all the way through uh, middle school into high school. I played baseball, and that was my best sport. I was a pitcher first baseman all the way through high school. Uh, And I was one of those guys that kind of prescribed to the theory like a lot of athletes. You hear a coach say, bow your neck, um, try harder. You know, if 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 you're not achieving, you must not be trying hard enough. Well, golf is the antithesis of that. The harder you try the more you suck. Yes. So you yes. gotta, you gotta back off of that whole concept of, 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 of what you were weaned on as a child with, with other sports, like for instance, in baseball, you can go over four at the plate. Over four is a horrible day, right? But if the shortstop goes in the hole and he has to make a throw to first base and it's a bad one and you dig it out for the, to save an out and to, and to get, and to, and to save a game, well, you're a hero. You just made a great play at first base. So you can suck in some areas of team sports and still make a play that helps your team. In golf, you're out there by yourself. If you suck, it's just sucking. Nothing's going to stop it from sucking. There are no timeouts. Uh, there are no breaks. You have to get through 18 <laughs> holes yeah, no matter if you yeah. shoot 70 times right. or 150. And, and the guys you're playing with, generally speaking, are your friends. And even your friends are going to say to themselves, well, how's he going to handle this? How's he going to handle that that adversity? Sure. So I think there's a, a little intimidation within to say, "Hey, man, you got to like step it up, back off, 
get your grip, uh, get your uh, wits about you, and finish this off uh, with some dignity. You know, <laughs> it's well said. That's, it, that's, it, that's why you have to play. That's why I love playing. And you really, you know, I, it, it, it's hard to describe that to a person that doesn't or isn't an avid golfer or maybe right, maybe views right. it uh, from a competitive team sport standpoint. It, it's one of those things right. that you learn to love. I, and I, I've well, always you know, thought that. Yeah, you know right away when you're hearing uh, a sportscaster that doesn't golf talk about golf. You know right away that guy doesn't know yes. Jack. About squat, yes. About golf, you can you say shit right on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Hey Tim, listen, I have one more golf question, another self-serving question of my own before I let Matt get after. He's looking at me like, hey, I want to talk about Big Ten, but uh, yeah, last, last yeah. thing, I have a great friend that's a ULM grad, and he said, ask Brando. I said, hey, I might get Brando tomorrow. He's like, I, I got a question. Uh-huh. Ask him if he played Chenault back in the day. Oh God, yes, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we used to have. Um, uh, a few years ago, during uh, I, I was a I was a speech and debate student that hung out at Brown Hall all the time, which was sort of where the radio station was, the campus radio station, and all that. And um, after um, you know, I had some degree of success. Uh, folks at ULM asked me to come back. It was still Northeast back then, by the way. It was before the name change. They asked me to come back and have a golf tournament. Uh, to raise some money for scholarships. And uh, they asked me to bring one of my friends with me. So every year I'd bring, one year I brought John Saunders, another year I brought Clark Kellogg, and we'd go and play out at Bayou de Seard with some of the, the donors and try to raise money that way. And then they had what they called the First Amendment Open, which was, you know, kind of for the general population base of the journalism department uh, at, at Northeast, and they played that every year at Chenault. And so, yeah, I, I've played there with the airplanes flying over the top. And I've played there after some rain uh, where when you were trying to set up, uh, part of your foot would be underwater. So, so I've been on Chenault many, many times. <laughs> you know, Tim, I, I've got two comments before I get into the Big Ten conversation. You know, you, you brought up Shudrant. Kind, yeah. kind, kind of a small world for me, you know. When I was in high school, actually, my my basketball team we went up to Shudrant and played in a in a weekend tournament up there at Shudrant High. That? Yeah, and um, you know, you, you said that you're good friends with the owner of Beau Rivage. So next year, when UL plays South Alabama and Rage Review <laughs> needs a place to stay, you can hook us up, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not the owner, but he is the vice president. Okay, hey, so almost the same thing. Oh, yeah, well, it's close. It's close. <laughs> All right, Tim, let's, let's get into the Big Ten. Now. By the way, speaking of, speaking of shooter, somebody asked me about playing there, and uh, I said, you know, this is harder than number two at Pinehurst because I, I had I played Pinehurst like three times and some of my best days. I, I broke 100 the first time I played it, which I was thrilled. Uh, I finished birdie par uh, with like a 60-foot snake over three hogs backs on 18. Uh, and this was shortly after the Payne Stewart U.S. Open win oh, wow. uh, in 99. This was like 2000, 2001, something like that. I went back and the Jimmy V tournament was there and I shot at 86, which, God, for me back then was just incredible. And I, I'm playing, and I'm struggling to break 90 over at, at uh, Squire Creek. 
finally, I, I think I shot like an 86 uh, there. And I'm uh, the, the, the pro, uh, the guy that was the pro there at the time had been our pro at Southern Trace years earlier. And I said, man, this thing is a grind. I said, I said, um, those greens are like Pinehurst. And he, he's like, well, I mean, it's not, you know, it's tough. I said, I said, yeah, but if you three putt or four putt at Pinehurst, you can at least say you, you four putted at Pinehurst. I said, I'm from Louisiana. I'm telling somebody that I just four putted in children. Really? (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Hey, we're, we're actually going to play number two next year. So I'm going to drop you a line about a month before. So you can give me some pointers on where to go and what to do. Well, here's the key. Here's the key. Tita Green, you're going to think this is a can of corn. This is easy, man. It looks easy. But when you get on the greens, and I don't care if you're below the greens or if you're pin high, okay, you can four putt anytime. So, and if you think you're going to look smart by, you know, pulling out a lofted wedge around the green, forget about it. Texas wedge your butt around that place. I'm writing this okay? down. I'm writing this all down. I mean, do not pull out a lofted club because you because you think you need to uh, to show that you're a really good golfer to your friends because all it's going to do is lead to another stroke. I I shot the day I shot a 97 the first time I played it. Uh, I hit six greens in regulation on the front side. I mean, I'm having a great day. I think I probably was a 15 or 16 handicap at that time. And uh, I remember running into the pro shop after I'd made that incredible birdie on 17 and then the 60 foot snake on 18. I just ran in to ask the pro. I said, you know, I shot 97. I got to know, you know, I'm a 15 handicap. You know, I've never seen, I've never played this before. How do I stack up? And he said, Tim, if you broke a hundred and you're a 15, you had a hell of a day. So it made me feel good. But, uh, the reality is I hit six greens in regulation on the front side and shot a 50 on the front. Now think about that. Six greens in regulation. That's a lot of three putting and four putting. Okay. So, um, just try your best to stay under the hole when necessary, but don't try to look good for your friends by hitting a flop shot when you don't need a flop shot. Noted. 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 Josh? Yes. Yeah. I wrote it all down. All right, <laughs> Tim, let, let's, let's dive into football now. Um, you know, I kind of have a two-part question about, about the Big Ten. Number one, you know, leading up to the announcement of the Big Ten coming back, was it widely known as it being imminent among the broadcasting community? And then also, from an in, from a leadership standpoint in the Big Ten, has Kevin Warren lost the confidence of his Big Ten athletic directors? To the the first part, I don't think any of us in our business have felt that anything was imminent (laughs) this year. If we did, we're we're probably just, you know, admitting our ignorance because every day was a new day. And even now, uh, a month into the season, even though a lot of teams have only played once or twice, we're a month into the season. Uh, every week is different. Every day is different. You might get a call as an example. I've had two different producers and the ones that were planned to produce my games, both in the NFL and in college football the last two weeks 
due to COVID. So you've got to be willing to adjust and adapt to anything. And I think all of the conferences, the commissioners and athletic directors and president, they, they've all been in the same mode. So, no, I don't think anything uh, at any point did we feel it was imminent. I was cautiously optimistic all through the summer. Uh, and I thought it was interesting because a lot of my friends in media uh, took shots at those of us that were uh, cautiously optimistic, suggesting that because we were, we somehow cared less about human life, which I thought was really unfortunate. Uh, but like everything else, uh, the issue of college football to play or not to play became political. Uh, and that's just fact. Absolutely no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And it became political, the Big Ten. Uh, uh, the debacle of last night's debate, I don't want to get into, but when Trump said what he did about, I brought Big Ten football back, uh, you know, he didn't get shouted down by his opponent on that. Uh, he, he very easily could have been shot down by his opponent on that. But the reason his opponent didn't shoot him down was because the Biden campaign was running an ad saying that Big Ten football stadiums were vacant because of Trump. <laughs> so when you're running an ad campaign against your opponent, and those are swing states up there, Ohio, Minnesota, um, Pennsylvania, uh, that's, that's one of the reasons why there was no rebuttal from, from Biden last night when Trump mentioned that. Trump took a victory lap. I'm not sure he, he, he earned it, but he took it, and that's politics. Well, Politics was being played. Uh, I don't think there's any question about that with regard to the Big Ten. Um, the, 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 the state universities, there's only one private university in the Big Ten, that's Northwestern. The state universities, just like Louisiana, have what? They have governors who appoint board of supervisors or board of regents members. And if the word was coming down from the governor's office that we don't want football, then that was going to be the direction that, that they went in. And uh, Kevin Warren, I think, was the scapegoat in a lot of respects. Now, he did a, I think he probably underestimated the power of his position, having been in the NFL for a long period of time. Uh, you know, normally if, if a commissioner says this in the NFL, this is the way this is going to be. Well, that's not true in college. There are way too many layers of bureaucracy. Uh, it's, you know, colleges are inherently politically uh, run to start with, okay, because of those bureaucracies. And the political rub between the academic and athletic side has always been a part of intercollegiate athletics. And we have to understand that. So, no, I don't believe Kevin Warren has lost any respect from his athletic directors. I think the ADs knew what their presidents were pushing and that this was a political football, pardon the pun, that everyone was having to deal with. Um, honestly, the, the news about the rapid testing that ironically came from the West Coast, not from the Big Ten, but from the Pac-12, helped move this along. That plus the fact the players, the players' parents, the passion, uh, the outright anger and hatred coming from those that were being told, you know what, everything that you did, all the protocols that you followed were not going to be uh, rewarded with an opportunity to play. Uh, and I think that uh, those presidents 
with the kind of uh, knowledge that they were able to glean from the news of the rapid testing, plus seeing the pressure that was coming from the athletic uh, side, that being the players, the Justin Fields of the world, uh, and Trevor Lawrence's, and all those guys that said, you know what, this is wrong. Uh, why are we having to be the adults? You know, the players, I think, were part of a role reversal. They were handling it in a far more adult manner than the adults were. And uh, it was not a good look. And so ultimately, I think that's how we got to where we are right now, across the board. Yeah, there, there's no question about it for, for a short period of time there. It, it seemed like, like you said, Justin Fields and Trevor yeah. Lawrence were really yeah. the, the reasons behind you know football coming back in those major conferences. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Kevin Warren didn't misstep. He did. Uh, it was a public relations nightmare. Uh, number one, he, he only, when he announced they weren't playing, he only gave really two reasons, fear and uncertainty. That was it. There was, no, there was nothing else that was really coming, fear and uncertainty. And then after the pushback from Ohio State and from Nebraska, he released a letter saying this will not be revisited. I don't think anyone will ever forget that. That's something that will stay with Kevin Warren. But I don't think that, uh, I don't think that Kevin Warren's um, uh, legitimacy as a commissioner or his, his power necessarily is going to be undermined because I think everybody that's got a, uh, a real handle on how intercollegiate athletics works knows that this was really being moved by the presidents of the institutions, not by the commissioner of the league. Yeah, you know, from from an outsider standpoint, you talked you talked about the the PR PR being a disaster. Really, um, you know, from an outsider with no ties to the Big Ten, it certainly looked like a disaster to to us. Um, right. Do you think the Big Ten as a whole can overcome the damage from a PR standpoint that that this is all really caused? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Big Ten is uh, listen. Uh, I was talking about this a little bit earlier in the week. College football needs the Big Ten badly. Now, I know LSU and Mississippi State did a really nice rating for CBS and their national rating. The overnights were not as good, but the national rating was really good. But college football across the board uh, is suffering, just like a lot of other sports, in terms of viewership right now. Now it's an election year. That's part of it. Uh, We've got a lot of sports crossing over. You know, NHL finals just occurred. MLB playoffs underway, NBA finals about to get started. We had a U.S. Open in the middle of uh, college football season. I mean, uh, the, the landscape is really clouded right now with sports overlapping due to, to, due to COVID. But uh, the most households for college football, I mean, by far, the, more, the most households are in the Big Ten region. That's where the, the more population base uh, – of, of college football, its density is there. And they care about all of college football, don't get me wrong. I mean, they'll watch a lot of SEC and, uh, and a lot of uh, Big 12 games and ACC games, but they're not going to be actively watching if, they're, if their teams aren't involved. And the Big 10 has been on the bench. They've not been playing. So we need all of the geography of our country involved watching college football for it to do uh, what it's supposed to do in terms of interests uh, in television viewing. 
everybody's going to take a hit financially this year on campus with no gate receipts. But the television revenues, that's, that's, that's so big and so important and why you're seeing, in the end, all of these conferences come back. Um, I was talking to the, uh, an athletic director just the other day in the Big 12, and I said, okay, well, you guys are playing. The other leagues aren't. What kind of losses are we talking about, you know, budgetarily for the year had you not played? The numbers were in excess of $70 million. Okay. All right, by playing, but with uh, no fans or with a few fans, what's your hit going to be? Oh, 25 to $30 million. So that's a lot of money. That's a tremendous amount of revenue uh, for all these schools. So this is a year when everyone is just trying to move day-to-day, week-to-week, try to limit the losses as much as you can and hope that we can get back to what we would call quasi-normal by next year. But by everyone playing, even if it's a seven-game season or a a ten-game season, by everyone playing, at least the losses will not be as detrimental as they could have been or would have been. Yeah, you know, that's kind of been a topic around many college football programs is just how much revenue would be lost if, you know, no games were played or if games were played under certain guidelines. And, you know, that that's kind of kind of brings me to my next question. Do you agree with the guidelines that have been laid out for safe play? Or do you feel as if many people do that they're pretty capricious and arbitrary? No, I think we've got to have them. Uh, I do think we have to have them uh, because it, it can happen so easily. And, and by the way, just so you know, I've done three games. Uh, one NFL game. I did a game last week, obviously, that incredible game between Texas and Texas Tech. And I did a Kansas game with Coastal Carolina to start uh, back on September 12th. I am not flying on American Airlines, period, right now. Uh, so if a place like Lubbock is on my schedule, that's the only airline out of Shreveport I can get to, to, to Lubbock on. And I'm not gonna I'm not going to fly. I'm going to drive. So that's an eight-hour trip from Shreveport to Lubbock. Um, uh, uh, the game in Indianapolis, I could fly Delta. They're flying at 60% capacity. You know, I don't have to worry about... If you're on a 50-seat RJ, I don't care if you put on rubber gloves and you wear a mask, you're going to touch people. <laughs> Your body will be touching another body. It's impossible not to. So I think you got to be careful. No question about it. Uh and I've seen the evolution from the first week in Lawrence when the hotel, which was a campus-run hotel, great hotel, was just reopening. It was only open about a week. Uh, they didn't have glasses in the room. They didn't have phones in the room um, because they 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 were concerned about um, they were concerned about the virus uh, being transmitted. Uh, that's changed now at the Overton, which is the campus run hotel facility at Texas tech. It was a little more normal there. Staffs are being, you know, the hotel staffs are back. Uh, they're not running with skeleton crews there. at Some of these hotels, uh, around college towns. So, you know, that's something you have to consider in my position. So I think from a football standpoint and the concerns that you have for your players, and to some extent, <clears throat> for the student body, we're still nowhere close to being, it's getting better, it's improving, but we're nowhere close to normal. I mean, 
uh, we've got to be very, very careful right now. Uh, my thoughts on uh, allowing the fans back, uh, I think if if you're doing it at 25% uh, capacity, I think you can get away with that. I think um, from time to time you see some schools saying, no, we're not going to have any, even though the state is saying this, the, the state uh, and county restrictions are 25% capacity. The schools that say, no, we're not going to have any, I think that's over the top. Uh, I think they should just listen to their state and county, or in our case, parish um, uh, medical protocols and follow them accordingly. Uh, but I do think that those those protocols are in place for a reason. We need to follow them. Yes. Yeah, I think most of the, the problem that people have is that it's it's so different in so many different areas, you know, I, and I know a lot of that has to do with case outbreak and there's so many variables. And we we put that on the, red, the rundown because I guess my biggest question is when you go and you visit these venues and you see with your own eyes how people are actually adhering to these guidelines, do, do, do you, does it make you feel safer? Does it make you feel like, Hey, we're all on board with this together. We're really trying to get rid of this. Thing yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I admire it to a point, but by example, when the Kansas game, the same day, Kansas state was playing Arkansas state and lost. You remember that day? Sure. Uh, Kansas state had like 20,000 people at their stadium. Okay. Uh, Kansas didn't have anybody at their stadium. But as Spencer Tillman and I were walking down, uh, literally, it's a it's a um, a walk, uh, two thousand steps, you know, on my Fitbit from my hotel to the stadium, and it's on campus, and you're going as you're walking down from the the, the Oriad Hotel to the the Memorial Stadium at uh, KU. I'm, I'm going by frat houses, you know, and I can smell the Patron. <laughs> And the people partying. Yeah, I mean, it, it's. I mean, so what are you? What are you accomplishing by telling students that they can't come to the game? And they'd actually be safer at the game than they would be if they're just at the the frat house, the sorority house, having a party, drinking while we're calling the game. Uh, I think that's. I think that is a bit over the top, uh, and I think uh, uh, there's a there's a point in time when it's pretty obvious when people are just covering their ass doesn't mean you're doing what's necessarily in the best interest of the student body. Uh, to a point, I think we have to be measured with everything that we do. And in a lot of cases, it does make me feel good. But when I see something like that, I'm like, man, again, it's another example of, uh, you know, understand that you can tell uh, 18 to 22 year olds to do this, this, and this, and they'll listen. But if you tell them, well, you can't come at all then they're, at some point they're just going to say, well, all right, fine. We'll just have our party at our house and uh, we'll do what the hell we want to do there. You know, yeah. but, one thing we know what is good that, does that accomplish? what good does that accomplish? College kids are going to find something to do, whether it be stand exactly. and holler at a football yeah. game or lay on each other in the yard, to, you know, pass out Absolutely. drunk. I mean, they're going to find something yeah. to occupy their time with. Yeah. Uh, and I, listen, I, I feel for those kids too. I really sure. do. Sure, uh, I can't imagine being I, in college right now. Yeah, absolutely. Me. I mean, I'm I'm a college student right now. Not not being able to go to the games is not a whole lot of fun. 
Yeah, I bet. And all the other restrictions you have to deal with. I mean, I'm actually a little older than Tim thinks, but, uh, you know, when I was in school, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to put myself back in that situation where, you know, class is an issue. You know, you, you have to, you know, the Greek life is totally different. Football games, no tailgating. I mean, all these things. We, we All we think about is, okay, let's get the game in on Saturday. But right. a college student's life is completely disrupted. You know, just, I mean, really, this is the first year, first semester, they've actually had to live this way. You know, yeah. so everybody's learning on the fly here. We are. Uh, we absolutely are. But And all you can do is the best you can do. All right? That's really all you can do right. is the best you can do. And uh, I think that's true for all of us. Uh, but I, 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 I think sometimes uh, – and by the way, I'm a big fan of the way our state has handled things. I, I'm, a, I'm a Republican with a conservative lean. Uh, but I will vote for a Democrat from time to time. I have in the past, and I will again. Uh, I think that um, I think that Governor Edwards has really done a good job. Uh, a lot of my Republican friends don't think so. I couldn't agree more but, with you, and and the vitriol towards him over this issue is just oh, absurd. It's and look, we're pretty yeah, political, but I feel like that that's pretty yeah. evident. No, no, it absolutely is absurd. Uh, and there's a reason, by the way, uh, that through this situation. Uh, with a Republican president in place, Louisiana is a state that probably annually is going to be reaching out to the federal government for help due to storms and et cetera. And we need to have a really good relationship between our governor uh, and whoever is in office. And we do. Uh, and I think that's an important factor. Uh, this notion that, that we have to be, well, Got to get rid of him, and this is unconstitutional. And I was like, oh, my God, please stop. Uh, and I've seen it, and I'm embarrassed by it. I agree. It's an overlooked uh, – the, the, the point about having the relationship, like you said, in the era we are with the different disasters that we deal with, and there's sure. other socioeconomical things uh, that right. we're going to deal with. So it, either way, I, I don't want to get – if you get me no, started on the politics side, think, I'll get after. I just think it's important. I think it's important to know what we're going through, whether you live in South Louisiana, and it's different in North Louisiana. Uh, New Orleans is different than any other city in, in the state. I get that. Sure. But 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 let's allow our our people that are in positions that know more than we, than we know, let's trust that they know more than we know and act accordingly. That's my only point. That's the key about this whole thing is that that yep. one little word trust people don't want to trust yep. and, and and to some degree you, you can't really blame them but i agree with you in that regard i'm, I'm yep. gonna i'm gonna save all of us here and go back to football <laughs> uh yep. what do you think about so obviously with the cajuns accomplishing some pretty historic things this season already and, and flirting with a ranking this week and already been have been ranked week the two weeks prior what, well, uh, I've still got them number ten. You're in my fault. Oh, look, you're, look, you're aware of that. I'm ready. I'm ready to get into it. But I do, I do have one question before that. What? Yeah. We don't. Of course, we disagree with, you know, the the SEC. Well, they're they're playing now, but the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. Like, how is it a, a rational thought that they should be in the polls six weeks ahead of them actually kicking their season off? You know, and and you can look at a team like Louisiana. You can look at a team like a Marshall, a Louisville. These guys in the in the back twenties and into the thirties. Uh, how? Of course, we're gonna we're gonna fight against those larger conferences. And of, look, they're 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 halves, they're blue bloods. They are right. gonna they're gonna get the stories and they're gonna get the attention. 
what what is your take on that? Do, do you think that that is a legitimate way to do these polls? No, no. I'm I'm on the record, and it's so stated in my poll. I will not rank any conference team that's not participating. Now, in my preseason poll, I did because my preseason poll is a projection. It's how I think things will work out in the end. All right, but once play begins, uh, you'll notice that there's a lot more fluid movement in my poll because, like, Mississippi State wasn't ranked. Okay, they are now. And LSU, I had number four. Well, they're not even sniffing the top ten after what happened last week. Okay, once we start seeing a body of work, then it's what am, what am I seeing right now? So a team could drop from three to out of my poll. Uh, I think that's the way it should be. Some guys that vote, particularly in the AP poll, once they put a team in a certain place, it's like the starting grid at a NASCAR event. <laughs> right. Okay, they can't move that far away. And I'm like, huh? That's just a, a Neanderthal viewpoint. But that's how many of the AP voters vote. I haven't been part of the AP vote since the BCS used the, the AP as part of its formula. I was so against the BCS, I've, I felt in good conscience. I could not lampoon something I was part of. Sure. Well, the, the AP has now decided it's going to cower to the college football playoff. Uh, and that's wrong. College football playoff is about the big boys. It's about the brand names. It's not about anybody else. Yes. It's about, an, it's about the Sunbelt Invitational. It's about Alabama, Ohio State, about Clemson, about Georgia, whatever other SEC team, LSU. It's about brand names only. So UCF, go get you some, you're not going to get in. Memphis, go get you some, you're not going to get in. Cincinnati, go get you some, you're not going to get in. Louisiana, Lafayette, you're not going to get in. Uh, any team, Coastal Carolina, sorry, looks good, nice jock straps, but you're not going to get in. Um, fundamentally wrong, fundamentally flawed, and corrupt. And when you have the sports media placating to that kind of corruption. You see now the issues that we have. We have major issues. Only way this is going to change is through expansion. Uh, and part of this is going to be, uh, and I don't know how strong the group of five leagues can be, but they need to be next time this goes around. College football playoff was put in play because they knew that they could uh, financially structure something and then throw some, some little pieces of the pie, small pieces of the pie, to the Sun Belts, the Conference USA, the American, uh, the MAC, and the Mountain West, and that they would take it, that they would take it and smile and be happy. Well, I think now, given the situation, particularly post-COVID, you're going to see a lot of these schools that are participating uh, just say, you know what? We cannot financially hang. We, we're we're not. Got, we're we're going to see some FBS schools go back to FCS. I agree. We may even see we may even see some that 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 give up football altogether. Well, specifically, the leaders of these other, but the leaders of these other these these conferences I'm talking about, the Group of Five, they are going to have to tell them in the next conference, we will we will not participate unless you expand to eight teams. And by the way. Uh, with all the money that's being lost by Power 5 schools, that's what's got to be done. The best way from a television standpoint to get more money out of my industry is to offer more inventory. 
That's exactly right. This is an argument. This is an argument we've been making since the death of the BCS. If you're going to, I mean, you you made the comment about expansion. Uh, In in my opinion, why not just embrace the leagues that you have shunned? That would be a de facto expansion. I mean, am I wrong about that? Why not? Why not make the playoff a conference champion spot? Well, if you went to eight, you could easily do that. Sure. You you take the five conference champions, then you have two wild cards, and then you guarantee a spot for the group of five best team. Uh, that that's easily accomplished. When we get into the semantics conversation about well, what about a champion that's lost three games but they had a title game and they beat an undefeated team? Blah blah blah. We can't have a stop. Just shut up. It, what you have to do there is you put in a a, uh, a clause that says if an undefeated Ohio State loses to a three-loss um, Minnesota in the Big Ten championship game, that the playoff then has the right to either determine that the three-loss team deserves to be in or to, to, to pick another team. They can, they can choose whoever they like. If you want to do that, do that. But that should not prohibit a team like a UCF, a team like a, a, a Louisiana Lafayette uh, from getting in. They should have their spot. Uh, and then we could say we truly have a national championship playoff format. Right now, this thing is more exclusive than the BCS was. At least during the BCS era, we were using a criteria that included uh, strength of schedule and, uh, you know, computers that were spitting out the kind of information that allowed for a team like Boise State to have a legitimate shot. If if Boise State had made a couple of field goals, (laughs) they would have already been. Colin Kaepernick of Nevada cost Boise State a, a, a chance to play in the BCS title game one year. Uh, Boise State was legitimate. Well, Boise State now, if they went undefeated, would have no shot. Just like UCF a few years ago had no shot. This is a far more exclusive beauty pageant circumstance than the BCS ever thought about being. So we got to blow this thing up. It's got to be completely overhauled. And if we don't do it now, then when when are we going to do it? Yeah, you know, we Josh and I both agree with you completely, Tim, on that. Totally. Um, you know, going into the year, you were you were a little bullish on you know ISU, Iowa State. You you were high on them. Yeah. Um, and then obviously, you know, week one, we we went up to Ames, and <laughs> I, I, I like to use the word dominated. Um, you know, two special teams touchdowns, won the turnover margin, two to nothing. Uh, right. And we, we were able to come home with a win. What impressed you during that game? And what have the Cajuns done since then to keep your confidence in the fact that they could be a top 10 team in the country? Well, first off, you beat a team like Iowa State and look physically better than they did. Uh, yeah, you had two uh, big time returns, one in the kick game, one in the punt game. That was arguably the difference. But you dominated at the line of scrimmage, I thought. Uh, and I thought your athletes looked better, quicker, and faster. Uh, and I, don't, I didn't see that they were that necessarily smaller. Though I think if we added it up, uh, Iowa State probably was a little bit bigger. 
But the reality is Brock Purdy is, in my in my opinion, one of the top quarterbacks in college football. I do think he has a pro future. He had a bad day, a really bad day. But the Raging Cajuns had a lot to do with that. So credit them for that. Uh, you know, I've had some people come back at me, the elitists, uh, after the come-from-behind wins in the last two weeks at Georgia State and at home with Georgia Southern. And I've said, hey, man, uh, Texas Tech barely beat Houston Baptist. Okay, barely beat Houston Baptist. But they were able to put Texas on the ropes. So we allow four teams to be emotionally, uh, you know, distraught the week after a big game, but we don't give that same uh, amenity to those of the group of five. Though that's a problem. You know, that is that is a real problem in college football. So I'm very impressed with what I've seen so far. No doubt about it. Not to mention we're playing with half a roster last week. And the week <laughs> before that, we've got like six con- key contributors out. Yeah. So well, people, they, they people don't pay don't attention bother. to the actual game. They just look at the stat line and they say, oh, well, it's Georgia exactly. Southern, Georgia State. Exactly. It's absurd. Yeah. Whereas, whereas with Kansas State playing Oklahoma, we knew prior to the kick that they had seven players, five of them on defense that were out. See, the information gets out on those teams in the Power Five because they're more exposed. We... we we don't do a good enough job of covering all of college football. Uh, you guys weren't born yet, but I, when I was doing college game day with Bino Cook and Lee Corso, we did an entire segment on FCS and even Division II uh, schools. And we only had an hour-long show in those days. Um, you know, I, I love game day. I love the job that our guys do on Big Noon. But no one in, no one's covering the group of five or the FCS the way it deserves to be covered. College football is not just the – It's you can't cover it like it's the NFL and there's only 32 teams, okay? You got to – there's a, there's way too many teams uh, and way too many time zones for you to just ignore those schools. But that's what's happening. And uh, that's a problem for all of us, I think, that we have to look in the mirror and say to ourselves, you know, when stories like the Sun Belt going 3-0 and over the Big 12 – are big stories on a certain Saturday, but not followed up on in the weeks that, that follow. And that's what's happened here is a yet another example of the poor job that the media does in covering the totality of college football. Tim, let me ask you this, you know, while we're somewhat on the subject of Iowa state, I mean, know. by the way, when you guys turn on, when you guys turn on ESPN on Saturday, all right. And you're watching those guys carry out. Don't you think they do a fair job? Don't you think Matt Barry and those guys, don't, don't they do a hell of a job? I mean, they, they do a great job. They do a hell of a job, and especially when we're getting coverage on every segment, the sticker segment. Right. We've, we've got all these right. different plays. It's great, but do I get that coverage? Do I get that coverage if the Big Ten is playing? You know, right. But by Monday, all right, when yeah, you turn their, when you gone. turn the television, when you turn the state, when you turn on, I don't care if you're watching uh, FS1 shows or ESPN shows. Are you hearing anything about college football? Nope. No. No. Well, some of that is I because mean, it's become watching, a, a political arm, really. Some of these. Unless you're unless you're watching the SEC network or the Big Ten network or the ACC network, you're not hearing college sports being covered by the mainstream media on cable it's television true. anymore. You're not. We need a we and, need a Sunbelt it, network. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's just we all have to. I think I'm I'm very critical of my business when it drops the ball, and I think that you know college football is the second most popular sport in America today. It's second only to the NFL. And yet, 
you turn on television every day and the same regurgitated LeBron versus Michael Jordan topics are on and who gives a damn about that anymore? I'm, I'm sick and tired of hearing it. Yes, I am. We all are. Somebody's got to get these these guys the note. We're done with the the debate. <laughs> debate television for me. Nobody beats Mike. I, I'm done. I'm done with the debate yeah. stuff. I, I just yeah. it serves no purpose. Yeah. Yep. You, you don't get better than Michael Jordan. But anyways, Tim, you know, <laughs> I, like, like I was saying, after seeing a few Big Twelve games and especially Iowa State getting that big win over TCU on Saturday. Do you still have confidence in the fact that Iowa State could win the Big 12? You know what? Yeah, I do. Uh, <laughs> Texas Texas right now, I mean, I, I just saw a game they didn't deserve to win, but they won. And, and Ellinger was the difference. And good for the Big 12 in terms of its national uh, popularity because it needs at least one of the teams – to be undefeated when the Red River rivalry takes place on October the 10th. But is Iowa State capable of beating either Texas or OU? Absolutely they are. <laughs> no question in my mind. Yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think Iowa I mean, State I, gets the upset on Saturday. I mean, I think there's a very good chance that uh, that, that could happen. Look, uh, some of those schools are – I'm not going to say they overlooked uh, the Raging Cajuns. I don't think they did. I, I thought that would be unfair to – those players and 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 uh, and to your great coach, who I think is a great coach, but uh, is Iowa State capable of? Uh, I don't think there's anyone in the Big Twelve that separated themselves at all yet. Either way, so and I'm a big Purdy fan. I think he's a really good leader. He just had a horrific day. Uh, the win at TCU was a hard fought one for them. I think they can build off that. And by the way, keep an eye on that TCU game um, this week with Texas. I think um, Patterson defensively can do some things to make, and I'm sure he saw a lot in what oh, yeah. Texas couldn't do Agreed. that he can take advantage of. So, you know, Texas is going to have a hard time navigating through Fort Worth this week. And, um, you know, as I said, on October the 10th, after the Red River rivalry, I've got uh, Spencer and I've got the K-State TCU game on Big Fox. So um, it wouldn't hurt my feelings if, if TCU was coming off a win. <laughs> you know, I got a little something more to sell in my game on October the 10th. So we'll see. Yeah, for sure. You know, Tim, we're, we're looking past this weekend. Obviously, you know, our, our big matchup is next Wednesday night against App State on ESPN. You know, UL is yep. – Louisiana's kind of always struggled with App State. You know, we're zero and eight against them since they've joined the Sun mm-hmm. Belt. Right. What What are you expecting from this? What What we feel is a monumental matchup. You know, primetime ESPN, and uh, can the, Can the Cajuns shake off the App State curse? This year, I, I don't think anything applies to uh, past issues with today's games. I, I think that uh, fans think about it. Media has to discuss it because it's there. Uh, but I'm a, I'm a big proponent of uh, living in the here and now in the moment. The one thing that you take away from uh, what happened last week and what, what happened on the road when you were down uh, two or three scores the week before that is that you fought through and, and you managed to get out of there with a win. Those are the kind of games that uh, average teams don't win, but really good teams can find a way to win. Um, 
I, I think that that's the main thing going into this game, and probably one of the reasons why he didn't play as well this past week. Uh, all eyes, you know, players, particularly after they have those big moments like the one at Iowa State, it's easy to have your eyes get large, enjoy the moment, uh, and you're a little bit of a BMOC uh, getting all this love on campus. Well, now that's, there's no place to go to get much love. You know, psychologically, these players are isolated right now. And I think uh, keeping your eye on the prize is is probably an easier thing to do. Billy, in my opinion, is going to have, uh, I think Napier is going to have a much better handle on his guys going into this game than maybe ordinarily he would because of, you know, what you hear every week on campus when you've been through a, a skid like that against a certain program. So, um, I understand your question. Uh, it's certainly something that has to be discussed, but I don't think it affects the players, particularly now, uh, in this new normal that we're dealing with, uh, as much as it normally would. Tim, you've been incredibly gracious with your time, and this has been a whole lot of fun, especially the golf segment. That's going to be uh, <laughs> a, a, my buddies and I will enjoy that for for some time to come. But I have one more well, thing to ask did. before we let you go, man. Uh, uh, yeah. ULM's obviously a conference mate, and you know we have our, our different back and forth with those guys. But I was just right. curious, what is your involvement with their program, and if it's pretty substantial, do you have confidence in their in their current leadership, and and where do you see the program going from here? I've not met. I've not met the new president. Uh, I knew Dr. Bruno well, and I've become uh, closer to the program uh, through the time that he was there. Um, I'm probably closest to Coach Richard, uh, the basketball coach. I've known him a long time. He was there shortly after I was. Um, I actually recommended uh, to the then athletic director when the job came open uh, that. Um, that they hire him. He had been on the staff with uh, Trent down at LSU. And, you know, he's a, he's a Northeast guy. Was uh, that Brian that Wickstrom that was there? Uh, no, it was not. It was not Brian. It was the guy that preceded him. Okay. Uh, I can't remember his name now. I think he went over to UAB. His name escapes me. So I want to say Clawson, maybe? Is the name, does that name sound familiar? Um, Perhaps. Which, uh, yeah, he was the athletic director before that. He went over to UAB afterwards. I know that. I think he's an associate director of athletics at UAB now. And uh, you know, I, I and and um, I had known him for a long, long time, and uh, we're close friends. But I mean, from a football standpoint, uh, you know, the success that that you can have at a place like that uh, is very difficult when you know your your annual budget is one third of those. Uh, of the, that you're playing against your conference brethren, I'd love to see um, the, um, the the academic side of uh, of ULM, which is I think a proud part of of its uh, success story. Uh, what it's been able to do in medicine, and now to get a med school there, those are all great, wonderful things. But at the same time, I think finding the kind of uh, support mechanism uh, that you have down there. Is is I think probably something everyone that's ever been a part of Northeast or ULM envies. I mean, it, it it has to. That's probably where some of the rub comes, you know, from uh, the rivalry within uh, the two. Uh, and I know there's a lot down there made about the, the the name recognition situation from 
the hyphen to not the hyphen and, uh, you know, ULM's, uh, inability to, um, to come to terms with the, the way, uh, well, Nick Louisiana gave us his blessing there, Tim. Nick gave us his blessing. <laughs> so, Hey, you know, we take it and run with it. We're going to make a deal with well, you before we let you go today. Well, one of the things, one of the things that you have to remember is, uh, as it relates to what what ULM has meant to Northeast Louisiana uh, economically, it still means a lot. It means a lot to Monroe. Means a lot to a lot of people. Yes. Um, however, I think that uh, from an athletic side, uh, there was a time, particularly uh, in the old Southland days, when basketball was just bigger than big there at um, at Ewing Coliseum and. Uh, that was at the division levels they were playing at when I was there. And then shortly thereafter, uh, I was coming in with Dick Vitale in the eighties to do Southland conference championships that they were winning with some consistency under Mike Vining. So, um, I'd love to see it get back to that. Uh, but it's harder to do in the Sun Belt because the conference is tough. You know, it is, I mean, yes, it is much more difficult to win successfully, uh, in the Sun Belt than a lot of people realize. And to do that, uh, you've got to have uh, the the same. You've got to level out the playing field as best you can from a facility standpoint. I just hope that uh, our, the new leadership, um, which seemingly changes about every six or seven years, I hope that there's a commitment made towards reaching out and 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 uh, delivering for uh, the athletic department. Otherwise, if if you feel like you can't compete, then you've got some decisions to make. But I. I believe the people are in place to get that done. I'm a big fan of the athletic director. Uh, I think he knows and loves the school, and Scott is a, a really, really good guy. I love that they were able to put together. It took an international pandemic to get Louisiana Tech and ULM back on the field this year. No but kidding. that's going to be fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it took an international pandemic. We were raising hell think, to get yeah, that, McClellan that's, to that's schedule us. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, so – but I mean, I think the thing within the state, fellas, and I say this with all due respect, um, uh, there's a having a healthy rivalry within the state institutions is a is a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. We we need to make sure that we maintain it and and don't go over the top with it because we're a lot more alike than we are different. And I think that supporting one another and part of that support is being willing to play one another. And, and, and not get hard-headed. Don't let donors, specific donors, get in the way of keeping what uh, the masses of alumni really want to have happen. I mean, it was a tragedy that Louisiana Tech and ULM didn't play for 20 years. I mean, just wrong. Nonsensical. Uh, but, and it was over but, ego and pride and nothing at all. Yeah, you know, it, yeah. These regional rivalries that we've lost over the years has, has especially hurt, uh, I believe, programs in this state. Yeah, so I, in I, the end, I l- think... The last thing I was saying was so, that I just said that I thought the re- regional loss of the regional rivalries has hurt yeah. specific programs and in this state more than any. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. The thing we have to remember, uh, and, and to, to wrap this up, fellas, the thing we have to remember within the state is that just about every town of more than 10,000 in population has a Division One athletic program on a college campus, Okay whether it is uh, uh, Thibodeau, Louisiana, Hammond, Louisiana, Ruston, Monroe, obviously one of the larger ones would be there in Lafayette. But the reality is to maintain all of these schools that choose to be Division One and choose to compete 
at the highest possible level that they feel from a physical standpoint they can, they have to support one another. And, and, uh, and supporting one another sometimes means making a commitment to cooperate with one another. Uh, one of the great moves I thought Skip Bertman made as athletic director at LSU was the rotation of teams within the state that get to play uh, in Baton Rouge, keeping yes. it there. You know, Alabama won't do that uh, for their smaller state schools. And that's a, that's a travesty to me. They, sh- they should do that. Uh, Alabama State ought to have a chance to play Alabama on occasion. You know, I mean, why not? If yes. you're going to have a non-conference schedule of four teams, why in the hell are you playing Western Carolina when you could play uh, South Alabama? You know, I mean, it makes no sense. So what's going on, I think, with the, 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 the state school, you know, the flag-bearing school, which is LSU, to allow for these schools to play, I think that's a wonderful thing. So what that means is, those that are in charge of the schools that are within the uh, Louisiana system, um, they need to be good to one another. Uh, and remember that, again, we're more alike than we are different. And um, I, I certainly hope that remains the case. All right. Because I, I for one, uh, I was raised in Shreveport. I went to school in Monroe. I made a name for myself in my career in Baton Rouge and New Orleans. And I spent a hell of a lot of time growing up in southwest Louisiana, coming down to Lafayette. Some of my favorite speech and debate tournaments were with uh, kids that were going to school uh, down in, uh, in Lafayette and, and later at uh, old southwest Louisiana University. So the thing we have to remember is that we're all from here and we need to be proud of and help one another as best we can. That's my, that's my view of it. Whenever I get, um, and you know this, because there are going to be times when people uh, on social media will come back with uh, something sarcastic. I'll say, well, you know what? I don't care. Uh, Skip, I may be I may be a guy that went to Northeast ULM, but I'm proud of what Skip Holtz has done. You know, I, I think he's done a hell of a job at Louisiana Tech, six straight bowl wins. Come on. That, what's, and Billy Napier, my God, how can you not be impressed with what he's done? So we need to uh, be proud of and be happy for all of the schools within the state because we understand that they're at a different level than the big kahuna in Baton Rouge. That's well said. Yeah, no, no question about it. Tim Brando has been our guest. Tim, no, we, I know we kept you for probably longer than you had planned. <laughs> uh, you know, Sign I don't get it. Well, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, fellas, and uh, – I uh, wish you all the best. Keep your dreams alive, and I hope all the things that you want in life to get. Absolutely. Thank Tim you, Brando, Tim. we appreciate you so much. You bet. Bye-bye. Take care. There he goes, Mr. Tim Brando. Man, you know, what, was so a, fun. what a fun one. You know, so fun. as, as I've, I've documented this, you know, across this show that I've always had a lifelong dream of being in sports journalism and, uh, you know, Tim mentioned John Saunders. You know, he's one of my inspirations. Tim Brando, obviously, is one of my inspirations. I grew up watching John Saunders. Um, That's wild. Stuart Scott. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, he's he's still on ESPN, but Scott Van Pelt, he's, he's another guy that I've always, you know, really respected. Sure. Um, so, Lee Corso, obviously. Can't can't go can't go wrong with the coach. But, uh, yeah, that, that, was, that was a whole lot of fun. Great shit from Tim. Wow. Yeah, that, was, that, was, that was awesome. That was a whole lot of fun. All right, Cajun Nation. 
when we come back, we will wrap that one up for you and we will send you on your way before this big App State game. Stay tuned right here on Ranger Review. Awardmaster, located at 3219 Johnston Street, is the only award shop licensed by Louisiana Athletics. In business in Lafayette for over 45 years, Awardmaster creates one-of-a-kind trophies, medals, and awards using a wide variety of materials, including resin, glass, wood, acrylic, and more. Owners Adam and Sarah Lopez are proud UL alumni, as well as Cajun Cooking Club members. Adam and Sarah can also help with your business promotional items. Rage and Review trust Awardmasters for all of their needs, and you will too. Awardmasters is so much more than just an award shop. Give Awardmasters a call today, 337-984-1414, or go to awardmaster.com. Awardmaster, the recognition and personalization experts. Think you're saving money by booking your trips on those travel sites? Think again. Our friends at Escape Reality Travel Agency can customize your trip hassle-free and, in many cases, for less money. Escape Reality Travel Agency offers service before, during, and after the trip. That ensures a top-notch experience for you and your family. Owners Shaden Haney and Chrislyn Vollenweider pride themselves on providing personalized service and expert guidance for every traveler. Whether domestic or international, the planning process will be painless. Maybe you're looking for a park or resort-style family getaway. With Escape Reality, you can focus on the fun and let them do the work. Perhaps you're looking to attend a Raging Cajuns road game. No problem. Escape Reality can help. Just visit them on the web at yourescapefromreality.com or call 337-281-1801. God, this beat gets me hyped. Welcome back to Rage Interview. Matt Miguez here, Josh Jagno, and we hope you enjoyed that interview with Tim Brando. Again, you know, like like if you I you didn't enjoy that GTFO because that was sick. Yeah, no, it was it was ridiculous. I mean, Tim well, was like awesome, I, candid, fun. Like I said before the break, you know, he, he's one of my inspirations in, in sports journalism. So being able to sit down with him for over an hour and just talk. Chop was, it up, was shoot awesome. the shit. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, like I, like I said off the top of the episode, seems like it was forever ago. It was, it's App State Hate Week. Um, we want to make them unhappy. They don't like when we use appy, so that's why we keep doing it. Um, all, all in good fun, of course. You know, App State Nation always loves to tune in. I'm going to um, make the trek up the mountain. And uh, that's the plan either anyway. But we're going to win. And oh, I yeah. think the boys are ready to do it. Here, here's here's the, it, it's time. Because it's time. I don't know if anybody that listens to Rage Interview has watched App State games this year. They look weak. Well, I'm not going to speak ill of these bastards until we beat them. When we beat them, I'll, I'll revel. And I'll, I mean, I'll, I'm not speaking ill. It's just... They've also had they, a lot of players out, just they, like they, us. They, they look... 
their their offense under Sean Clark looks incredibly conservative. It looks incredibly conservative. And who knows? I mean, look, they lost a lot at wide receiver. Who knows? But we will get in very deep detail when we do the preview. Yeah, for and sure. And we'll probably have BGP on to help us. So. And, you know, who knows? Maybe some other App State people. Maybe. We, we've, we've got multiple connections up in Boone, so maybe we could pull something off for you guys. Stay tuned for that one. That'll be coming in the coming days. We hope you enjoyed these two interviews. Again, big thanks to Bruce Feldman and Tim Brando for joining us, taking time out of their busy day. And, you know. We'll see you guys uh, in a couple days because we got a good preview coming for you. Yeah, for sure. As always, go Cajuns and beat the hell out of App State. Tell them, Owie.